Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. Come on, Megan, I'm Bastard's quiz master. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I, I had heard about it. I had heard about it. And me being the super Bowls man I am, I brought a Bowls jersey with me and gave it to him. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning. We've got a full house and we're very, very, very impressed by what Limerick are doing. If you want to get in touch this morning, we'd love to hear from you. YouTube.com forward slash off the ball. You can uh, text us on 0879-180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can leave a comment or tweet us at off the ball AM. Shane, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, how are things? Colm, how are you? Sure, hello. Uh, so, what was the most impressive thing about Limerick? Um... The fact that all year the third quarter has been consistently unbelievable. Like, when the chips are down, and to be honest, a three-point deficit at halftime is hardly chips down, but you just know that they're going to come back. Like, you know that they have something left in the tank. I don't know, if it, is it fitness? Is it just sheer willpower or desire? But um, whatever whatever they're doing in that camp, they're outrageous. It's not, the, it's not physicality in size. I know that that's been kind of used across the year, but they're just unbelievable. Most impressive thing is they scored 21 points in the second half. They had one wide... They were both five points and six points down respectively in this match. Five points in the second half after Kilkenny's second goal. They had six different players, Limerick, that scored at least two points. They had 11 different scorers in total. Peter Casey, who was, I would say, very quiet to anonymous in the first half, ended up being the player of the match because of his last 10 minutes display where he scored about the same point five times. Uh, Jim Burns scored eight from wing back, seven frees, one absolute monster point. Flanagan was afforded to be quiet. Hegarty wasn't outstanding. Keen Lynch stepped up as captain when they were six points down in the first half and brought other players into the game for Tom Morrissey. Was it his only point in the game? The last I, book of the I first think half? Keen Lynch was man of the match. Incredible. Like, There's so many reasons. Nicky yeah. Quaid's puck outs eventually. Well, Dan the, Morrissey being quietly brilliant. The crushing of the Kilkenny puck out in the second half. I think the, the uh, like <clears throat> Kilkenny scored a goal that broke the net. Right? That was amazing. Like, Quite literally, yes. Which is, is should be uh, one of those stories that everybody hears forever and ever but I think maybe we'll forget about it because the game ended up being such a, a washout for the last 15 minutes 10 minutes some of the skill from Owen Cody the dummy in the first half yeah, it was actually Keane Lynch he yeah. dummied like one of the best uh, reactors in Irish sport ends up being the victim of a dummy in the first half you're like wow but it was it's, and there was an incredible catch by TJ that uh, he ends up winning the free for from um, yeah. but we yeah. should save this for the performance rankings okay. but there was one moment where it, when the ball burst through the net and there was incredulity in the commentary but it was actually an amazing moment to watch on TV rather than being added I'd say because it it, it, it's gone through the net No we didn't know, we didn't know it was, uh, nobody, nobody thought it was goal until the umpire goes and gets the green flag and I was like At the match Yeah you could tell because there was just kind of a, a weird silence, silence. Yeah. Yeah. You could see the Kenny players pointing to the net as in pointing to the umpires going that was in So yeah. at, at that point I was like well the Limerick, the Limerick players kind of just turned around as if like no big deal yeah yeah <laughs> now, it was no big deal because they got it back blink of an eye mm. um, yeah alright do you want to just ignore this and get into you do the coming up if you like and here's what's coming up <laughs> the uh, performance rankings are coming up imminently uh, we're going to have Seamus Hickey with you from 8 o'clock Sarah Dunham giving us her thoughts from 8 to 25 uh, we've got the sports news with Carl uh, talking about the Open mm. it, it was grand it was fairly obvious what was going to happen. 
and then nothing else happened apart from what was fairly obvious from Saturday on. Uh, Sarah Rowe is going to join us to talk to us about football. She's uh, back down under. Uh, we'll also be over and back this morning to, is it the Woodlands Hotel? Is that where, is that where we are? I think so. In Limerick. It's the, the winning hotel for the fifth time in six years. We are now talking about all-time greats. I was um, talking to Anthony Nash on Friday and he was like, oh, these, they're the greatest team of all time. Ah, no, you can't, you can't. You can't win this game. And then we can start having that conversation. And then I met him afterwards and he's like, well, now, now you're going to believe me, right? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It's very difficult now not to make the case that they're uh, slightly ahead of Kilkenny, that Kilkenny team. Oh, uh, ooh. Uh, Tommy Walters asked that by Ashling afterwards yesterday and he's a very different eras. And it's true. How can you compare them? Different is, style of game. It is oh, true. It's a different game. It's also mad to think that Limerick had won all Ireland between the 1940s and 2018. And look at them now, people say yeah. they're the best ever possibly. And next year they could be the best ever. Tommy did also say when uh, Henry has 10, a lot of us have nine. We thought we'd never get caught, but these lads are going to do it, it looks like. So okay. I, think, I think the Dublin football team are suddenly like feeling a little bit hot under the collar. Yeah. Going, oh, oh. But these guys might be about to become the greatest GA team of all time. Another big event at the weekend too, just to be noted before we get into performance rankings. Barbie, very good. Mm. Ryan Gosling, unbelievable comic actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the guy also has it all. Like. We, both, we both watched it separately. We weren't together. Um, worth a watch, I think. Good message behind it. I haven't seen it. the other one that everyone's talking about. Yeah, a lot of pretty people, just, it's good to just watch them. You know? Oh, you, you were just getting your, your rocks off, were you? Well, I think everyone in the... In the is that the, the whole point of it? Sorry. I'm well, yeah, it's just a lot of good-looking men and women. Yeah, so is that not just Love Island? There's more to it. There is more to it. There's deeper meaning. It's a Love Island McAggs. No, there's a big... No, no it's, a, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely message at the end. It is. Yeah, yeah. I know, don't look down on it now. I'm not looking down on it. I'm just looking down on YouTube for like... Uh, well, for watching Shane, it, Shane's review is, mmm, hot people, eh. <laughs> and you're no, like, oh, no, 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 hang on a second. No, no. more to it. Gosling. So the acting was, of course, Gosling brilliant as well. Oh, yeah. Very talented. The articles were great. When you see the Gosling and Drive to the Gosling and Barbie... What an actor! Like the, the, sorry, and uh, the Ken character is a bit is a bit dense. Is the Gosling? He, he plays in, dance, yeah. dance very well. He does. One. In Drive, not just him looking good. No, really pensive, very I, serious. Does he does he smile once? Does he speak? Maybe maybe does he speak? Eight hundred and forty six words. He cries in the notebook okay. in the whole uh, in the whole film, and okay. he took out his own dialogue. Right. There you go. Look, I'm not saying he's not a smart guy. I'm just saying that I think that that performance is vastly overrated and the movie was, in the end, shite. No, no, no. It's a good movie. Barbie? Uh, Bar- not, no, no Drive. It's Bar- Barbie. Barbie is good. I haven't seen Oppenheimer. Drive. Is I'm going to see it this weekend. And I need to see The Deepest Breath on Netflix. Right. Monday morning recommendation. Apparently that's excellent. Sue Murphy put me onto it. Another friend of mine over the weekend said, you got to watch this. One yeah. hour, 50 minutes. Can't Made wait. by Motive Television, Irish company. What? The Deepest. Deepest Breath? Yeah. Go on. Oh really? No yeah. way! Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Well, another reason. Premier is on in Dublin here. Ah, oh, sure. I missed the chair. I was away. All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, seven thirty-seven this morning. This is OTBAM Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. It's time for the performance rankings. You know that wasn't an All Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAM's performance rankings. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances with just like that intensity. Boom. All right, and saying Kenny's last alarm was what, 2015? 15, yeah. So Cats of Nine Lives is going to be nine years next year. I just made that up on the spot. Isn't that good? Anyway, Kenny, like you mentioned that Owen Cody little jink past uh, Keane Lynch. That was the 25th minute. The run and the stick work. The following minute, Nicky Quaid pucks it out straight to Richie Reid. Points. The following minute, 
Barry Nash over Carrion TJ pops over the free those three points in a row I'm thinking this is a lovely little period for Kilkenny and then obviously don't piss off Limerick because that's exactly what happened and um, was was there ever a moment we thought Kilkenny were going to win the game possibly yeah half time I was like this is a very real probability then Limerick I think the first couple of scores the second half but then Kilkenny of course push on a little bit more get a goal uh, the goal that breaks the net and um, that's all she wrote really isn't it there was a moment at the start of the second half you're waiting for that famous third quarter from Limerick and funny they had the best second half they probably had in this John Kiley era but they actually were slowing up in the first five minutes of the second half Tom Feenan went on this great solo run and should have passed it to TJ in hindsight of course should have passed it and that could have helped the cause you could argue well Galan had a chance in the first 30 seconds of the second half if his, his touch was a bit off it was fired into him and if his touch was good that was almost a certain goal there's chances either end. The biggest question you have to say is how much does it cost to change the wedding venue and date? And is it worth doing that if your wedding is going to be on the same day or same weekend as an All-Ireland final? Because that is tough to do both. What's he going to do now? What's Buckley going to do now? Have a honeymoon. Have a honeymoon and think about, <clears throat> Jesus, was that all worth it? Was it? I'd say a lot of fun. Um, like, yeah, yeah, that was the timing was terrible. I think, I, I'm sure they booked it a couple of years ago before the... Uh, schedule in the calendar well, got of a the few fixtures was changed no they, they booked it this year did they but then didn't realise that so this the All-Ireland final is a week earlier this year of course anyway and it's, it's not going to be somebody's making the point that it's not going to go back that much further next year because Coldplay have already been booked for 2024 for the last two weekends of August mm. so maybe it's only the last weekend anyway yeah 29th and 30th we'll talk about this later the the fixtures and the scheduling and all that kind of stuff yeah uh, the positive from Kenny's point of view the intensity they were scoring from turnovers in the first half. Hugh Lawler was having a good game on Gilman I think as well. Kilkenny are in the red here because they did about as well as they could possibly have done and they got blown out in the last 10 minutes. Like, it didn't feel like a nine-point game. It, it really didn't. However, in retrospect now, that was what we were saying last night, now it feels like uh, there was an inevitability because they started to lose everything at the start of the second half. They started to lose in their half-back line. They started to lose in midfield. They started to lose... Um, in the half forward line as well even though they were playing about as well as they could have done there's a few wides in the first half when they have opportunities mm. Walter Walsh I'm sure would, would if he had his time back would pass into the inside forward line and, and try and create something slightly different than taking on the shots that he took on I actually thought from general play he did okay like uh, you know Kyle Hayes certainly wasn't dominating at the start the way Kyle Hayes did dominate later on now I know they moved him off him relatively quickly but I don't think there's much more Kilkenny could do a few players could play way better like Adrian Mullen I think the, the lack of hurling over the course of the season caught up with him yesterday um, but other than that like they don't have much else that they can point to and say we're going to be better for this experience we're going to be better next season because like next season TJ's a year older Richie's a year older Richie Reid I'm talking about uh, will Richie Hogan be back I'm not sure like after that um, there's probably a few others I'm just not thinking off the top of my head uh, and in the first half they got the puck out really right in the second half they couldn't do anything about it so that's why I'd have them in the red because this is about as this might be as good as it gets for them There was a point too as well just before half time uh, Kilkenny were four points up Keown I think hit the post um, with an easy enough chance for a point but it was actually fortuitous because it came down to Owen Cody goal and he tried chance. to replicate his goal again but it was an extremely tight angle he put it across goal but had he scored that that was seven points just before half time instead they went down the other end it's and Morrissey got his point yeah. yeah now TJ had a free after that which is central and he put it wide but then immediately scored a free afterwards 
there was a definite sense that Kenny were targeting goals and I guess that the narrative in advance of the game was they're going to need goals to beat this Limerick team because Limerick are going to probably hit 30 points exactly what we expected them to hit um, like they probably needed leaders in the second half Adrian Mullen you mentioned didn't really step up in the second half oh. TJ Reid probably I mean TJ's performance in the second half wasn't fantastic but then none of the Kenny players could really get out, get, get out of the, the the second or third gear in the second half like they, they completely controlled that Limerick half-back line in the first half, which was really, really impressive because it just isn't very regularly done. Um, but I mean, when you, was it 11 Limerick players scored from play at one 11, point? yeah. Like, that's... You can't legislate for that and you can't control that. Um, Can you? Like... No, it's Limerick. They just have so much so much shooting talent across the pitch. I know a lot of yeah. other teams at the top, top tier do, but like... They were winning their battles in the second half, Limerick, all over the pitch. And in the first half, you could say Hugh Lawler was on top of Gillan. There was other battles that, that maybe were going Kenny's way, but I know Murphy's puckouts were working as well. But that didn't last. And I don't even think it's a fitness thing. It's just Limerick almost switch into gear when they want to. I'd say the, the class of 2023 between Kilkenny and Galloway should go on a night out <laughs> and just discuss the post-traumatic stress of what Limerick do to you in the second half because they put both sides in the semi-final and final respectively put so much intensity into their performances yeah. and they ran out of steam and that's when Limerick got going it's like like fighting a heavyweight boxer where you give it your all and then that's not enough and you get knocked out that's the feeling playing Limerick Derek, Derek Ling mentioned the decisions uh, at the end after the match he said we didn't get the 50-50s there was a couple of other decisions and on 58 minutes there was that moment where there's what point or two in it and the 65 Kenny should have had a 65 should they it was definitely it definitely touched the Limerick man last. Did it? Definitely. I, I only saw one replay of it now and it looked like No, hundred percent. It was fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I I no, I think it was sixty five. Like it, it appeared to touch the Limerick lad and then he, he let let it go thinking it was a Kenny lad who last touched it, but it, the last touch for me was a Limerick all day long. Um and they scored straight off the puck out. Yeah. So the two point uh, swing. Two point swing, it was mad, but Look, I, I understand where Derek Ling is coming from. I don't think it changed the... I think it's the delaying the inevitable, really. Yeah, but possibly. But, like, look, they're in the red, so we should explain why, I suppose, or justify why. Like, from the 28th minute onwards, they scored 1-7 compared to Limerick's 25 points. But on the other side... They're in would the you red ev- because it's not getting any better than this. But how, how would you evaluate Ling's first year? Or has oh, this nothing to do with Ling because of Limerick? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think they were, like... They provided a different challenge. I think, like... Um, I think they got a lot right in terms of setting up the first half to, to try and take stuff on in the second half, but they couldn't. They couldn't get the short puck out of the way in the second half, and so uh, you're bombing balls down on the tallest, biggest half back line in the history of the game. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get the ball straight back at you, straight over your head. Do it again, straight again. It's like, oh my god! So. Uh, whatever it was that they were able to do in the first half, they couldn't in the second. Now, I'm going to talk more with Anthony Nash about this on Friday, um, but he was making the point after the game that the the wind had a really significant impact in the first half and that it was holding up Nicky Quaid's puck out. Yeah. And so that was allowing Kilkenny to push on and like explode into it when in the second half, Limerick could do that to the Kilkenny puck out. That was game over. Um, At halftime, one of the pundits uh, in the studio was talking about the fact that Limerick need to do something different here. They, they might need to just completely change something. But then I, I was also concerned in the second half, and this has been pointed out in the comments as well. I would have liked to have seen a little bit of shithousery from Kilkenny in the second half when things were going. I don't think they had any energy left to be a shithouse. As, as Corky says in the comments, can't understand how no Kilkenny player had a, hadn't 
a contact lens, lens issue in the second half. Something needed to be done to try and stop the juggernaut. But like, some, did, I, I didn't see anything different or the unique. The difference is when Quaid had his issue, he knew that Limerick had so much uh, storage to fall back on. Whereas, like, you can delay the inevitable. Like we're saying, you can go down and waste a bit of time, but you still have to get up and play on. You still have to be proactive. And I'm not sure they had anything left to give. Like, And yet, still, this game was pretty close up until the last 15 minutes. Mm. I mean, 30 scores to 17. That's why they're in the red. They did as well as they could and they got blown out at the end. That, which is the most frustrating thing. That I, I don't think there's anything in those 50-50s conversation. Like, there's nothing that you can say as a Kilkenny person today and go, if we had just done this, this and this, like, it, it could have been different. It could not have been different. The best team won by a mile. I'm not sure I agree with you, Jerry. Though that this is the end of this Kilkenny team. That's why they're in the red. I don't like, think that I don't think that they can close the gap on this Limerick team. Is the point? It's not the end of the team. I think next year they'll be back, and very, very likely they'll be in All Ireland semi final because, you know, uh, what's going on in Galway? I don't know. Uh, but more than likely, it's going to be Kilkenny in an All Ireland semi final against the second best team from uh, from Munster because the way the system is is set up, and there's every chance they'll be back in an All Ireland final next year. But what are they going to do differently? Yeah, I think Limerick have a tougher tougher monster than they do in the back end of the All Ireland. Like they seem to have Galway and Kilkenny's number, uh, but Clare on a good day, you never know. Tip on a better day, maybe. Mm. Uh, but that's what you're kind of clutching at straws, really. At the same time, you know. Also, they Kilkenny had kind of an inability to deal with Keane Lynch moving up to centre forward. Yeah, uh, the what well, the last seven minutes of the first half. So midfield he was doing alright and he seems to do a lot more damage when he switched to Reedy. Man of the match in the Ireland final is a big deal. They should have given it to Keane Lynch. Like, or it, Burns. We'll come back yeah. to this. Uh, yeah, or, or Burns I think because Burns in the first half wasn't as good as he was in the second half. Um, no but you're right. When, when Kenny were, like they were six points ahead. I know that's not a mountain lead against this hurling hmm. side. But they were six here. And you have to think like if it was for Keane Lynch Yeah. Who knows what would have happened? Like it's Lynch a, it's, was the only man who stood up. It's a dominant display when the team are struggling, and that's the hallmark of absolute quality. So anyway, uh, that, that's my only quibble. Yeah, we'll get back to Limerick. Uh, we'll move on into the other red uh, this morning and Irish golf. Very harsh. Very harsh. Very harsh. Very harsh. Be here. Well, we shouldn't be lumping them all in. So the way I'll explain the weekend from an Irish perspective: Brian Harmon, of course, winning a bit of a. I guess procession towards the finish line for, for Brian Harmon his first major title a six shot win for him one under round of 70 yesterday nice and easy for him uh, 13 under John Ram among those players and joined second with Sepp Stryker Tom Kim and Jason Day from an Irish perspective so uh, four players missing the cut Darren Clark on 8 over Alex Maguire 10 over Seamus Power and Shane Lowry both on 4 over all failing to make the weekend Patrick Harrington slightly better weekend made the cut Um and I guess the reason we're talking about this is, is Rory McIlroy tied for sixth um, par or better for every single round uh, as he said afterwards he was quite happy obviously not to have not won and the drought uh, major drought continues into a, a decade tenth year, next yeah. year yeah, tenth year uh, started, started the final round yesterday very strongly three birdies from the third hole on but then the heavy rain came in momentum was lost and um, I think he's playing really well the Scottish Open last week has highlighted that um, and he can be pretty proud of himself. Of course, he has once again not won a major, and I see your smirk, chair. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think Rory McIlroy has earned a place in the red after his performance the weekend. This content-driven man, like you either win or you lose, according to Jurgen Roy. And oh. If you don't win the Open, it's not you're black in red. and white. It's not you know black I mean? and white. You can improve. You can play well. 
it doesn't necessarily mean you're red. You can't put McElroy in the same colour as Shane Lowry. Golf's a hard who missed sport. the cut and smashed his club. Or actually, he didn't smash it. He kind of just bent it very smoothly and calmly, kind of sociopathically, like, and it just snapped right there and he just walked away with no emotion in his face. Um, you can't lump him in. Well, uh, sorry. How, how many majors did they both win this year? Oh, my God. This is the end of the major season, right? So yeah. it's not just the British Open we're talking about here. Like, Rory's season was built around winning one of the four, but particularly the Masters, and then, okay, I'll make do with my, my open victory that stops my 10-year drought. And last week, on, I, I was the one arguing for, to put him in green last week because he was sensational, and he's going to have a brilliant rest of the season. It's very likely he might end up winning again both of the tours, right? And it'll be a great achievement. At the end of his career, he'll look back and go, yeah, I was the dominant golfer outside of the majors for those years and he will feel not great about himself not winning the majors like Rory's in the red because Rory's, Rory would view himself in the red he might say I'm doing great it, you know so my putting is like Harrington is like if he can't put like this and win a major he just can't I don't know if you saw on Saturday he opened up and he was ripping the course apart and at that stage John Ram had just ripped the course apart and it looked like this is going to be one of the all time great opens because you assumed Harmon was going to come back to us but he missed the birdie put on was it? Did it go birdie, par, birdie, birdie? And it should have been birdie, 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 eagle. But he missed two putts and you were like, oh, that's just, they're just slipping away. And then hit every green in regulation for the first nine holes. And then the drive went a little bit wayward in the back nine and the whole thing frittered out and he couldn't buy a putt. And even yesterday, even yesterday when he starts to get going, he just couldn't get the putts to drop to start making the crowd be noisy and to make Harmon be sitting there going, uh-oh, uh-oh. But he could do it because his putting is not good enough at the moment. He won last week with his putting exactly like his, this. No, his putting wasn't exactly like this. Last week, he's the, some of the putts dropped. The putts yeah, dropped in 17 and 18 last week that weren't dropping this week. And that's the problem with, with McElroy is like absolutely sensational, but he's such a streaky putter that it's either hot or it's absolutely ice cold. And it was ice cold on Saturday and ice cold on Sunday. And he's, he doesn't want to be in the amber. He doesn't want to be patronised by you two. No, no. Going, oh, Rory, well done. You, you've got a top ten yeah, in a would you rather, He wouldn't, want you, as, he wouldn't I, want you as a coach or a confidant. Would you rather be, you're telling him he's this big loser because you haven't won a major in ten years. It's not that. Pick, would you rather be patronised in amber or disrespected in red, Jer? He's being disrespected being put in red, to be honest with you. Like, tied for sixth at the Open. Friends don't bullshit you, Shane. No, of course they don't. And, and he should be winning majors. But he did not play badly at, like, at the weekend. He played... Great, but he can't buy a putt. And that's why he can't be an amber. It's like three quarters of my game is great. Drive for show, putt for dough. You can't, no, you can't, you just can't put him in red. Like uh, this time yesterday, we were building up as like maybe he could do it. No. And then a few hours into no, no, Sunday, no, we're Saturday, like, geez, he started, he started off quite well. No, no, he started no, no, off, and you was, never know what McElroy. You never was, know what McElroy. You do. It was gone on Saturday. It was absolutely gone on Saturday. And he knew it coming off, and his face knew it on the back nine on Saturday. It was, it was over on Saturday. There wasn't a hope in hell. He, he could have shot a 63 yesterday, and it still wouldn't have mattered because it was over. I it was there, gone. There's no way McElroy thinks he's in red. McElroy thinks he's in amber, right? Because if he thinks he's in red, he's never going to be in contention again. If he goes by your attitude, where this guy, he's, his putting's letting him down, he's three quarters of his game, he's just not good enough anymore. If he doesn't fix his putting, he's never going to win another major. He said himself after the round, right? He <coughs> says, every time I tee it up, I'm right there. I can't sit here and be too frustrated. Overall, it was a solid performance, not spectacular. That's the definition of the performance rankings amber. It was solid, but not spectacular. Like, he has literally told us to put him in amber. By, like, his, it, literally, his post-round interview yesterday was him going, put me in amber. 
He's uh, he's had the same level of success in the in the major championships this year as you know everybody who didn't. Oh, win but one. that's like uh, well, okay, you're just looking. It, it is binary for McIlroy at this stage in his like. career. It is, it is. I'm telling you. So he, so okay, he's going to win. He's he's going to walk around with the wheelbarrow and they're going to fill it with cash every week between now and the end of the season. And it's great, and I, I you know it's fair play to him, and it's really important for golf that McElroy continues to be the one that everybody wants to watch and I understand that but at the same time it is binary now at this stage in his career in terms of whether or not that was a good week or a bad week he's not thinking that was a grand week because he didn't win like he's going to have loads of great weeks for the rest of the season and I still think I actually think that the Scottish Open the way he managed to see that out like I think that's going to be important to him into the future Mm. and I, I do think he probably will win a major but and then the dams will open he's in the red today because he didn't get it done over the weekend. I don't think so. Did you hear his uh, interview with Sky after his round yesterday? But but uh, they all have to. All the golfers lie to each other. They, Reference the Ryder Cup. Golfers have had the yips, and they're like, "No, I don't have the yips." No, no, what are you no. talking about? If you heard it, go on, go on. If you heard it. He was very self-critical in other performances this year, in majors even, and he said, "No, today wasn't bad. This weekend, not so bad." It's very disappointing not to win. Not the man who's talking about himself in the red. A guy who's saying there's room for improvement. A guy who's saying I'm nearly there. A guy who's saying I know I'm still good enough and I just need that little bit more. Certainly not a guy who's in the red. Let me put it this way here. An Irish golfer yesterday, Rory McIlroy, secured his 20th top 10 finish in a major since he last won one. That's pretty consistent. I mean, yeah, the man, I deserves, the man think, yeah. put some respect on his name This there. sport what? is ruthless and brutal and doesn't lend itself to the performance rankings because there's only one winner every weekend. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. golf is tough. It wasn't, and it wasn't Rory this weekend. He was in the green last week when he won. But it was the the, the season for McIlroy's built around. That's patronising. It wasn't. It was yeah, the, that would have been. The, the finish on 17 and 18 last week was absolutely spectacular. No, brilliant. Yeah, totally. Did we put him in the green? I don't think we did. We did. I did insisted we? on putting him in the green. No, I don't you, think we did. Uh, we did. I don't remember typing in Murray McIlroy last We must week. have. If you won the Scottish Open. I think you might have mentioned it, but I, I think it was honourable mention. I no. I don't think it was there. He was in the green. Sure, we'll go back and check. Someone will, someone will no, we us. won't. Well, we, we've only talked. This is what we, how we end up. We only talk about Rory because Potter Carrington had a decent weekend, but then the other Irish lads had howlers. Like Lowry breaks his club off his neck, uh, not as as violent as that sounds, but kind of bent it around his, the back of his neck. Um, so I think he'd be disappointed with his performance, Shane Lowry. Um, I mean, a six over seventy seven on Friday, and then he lost in the back nine. Uh, to be honest, so his frustration got got the better of him. By the way, Patrick Harrington was was asked about it afterwards, and he said, "What do you, what do you make of Shane Lowry breaking his club?" And he was like, "Well, pl- golfers are allowed to lose their cool as long as they don't damage the course." Yeah, he didn't care. Yeah, he didn't give. I mean, no, they're mates. I mean, I think he's right. Larry wants to break his club. He's got. Yeah. They're, they're going to fix that. They'll fix that for him. They'll give him a new one. It'll be grand. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're allowed to show a bit of frustration, I think. Uh, and Brian Harmon, fairy tale uh, week for him. Twenty sixth in the world, just the third left hander to win the Open, huh. lads. Uh, Bob Charles in nineteen sixty three and Phil Mickelson in twenty thirteen. So, what's that? Fun fact. Um, it was very underwhelming, wasn't it, when he won? Absolutely buckling him down on a Sunday evening. <laughs> the kind of polite applause from the crowd. I know. He took it well and then he's just walking off into the distance and I Oh is Tommy, is Tommy Fleetwood also in the Amber Lads, is he? Why? Because yeah. he did well. I mean earned come on. a lot more money for himself in contention. Oh, they don't again. care about the and money. Someday, They're so rich they don't care about the money anymore. He will win it. Unless it's live you know, money. It's, I'm, I'm, it's I'm glad extra. I'm father the golf like you would break these people's spirit. Why is Jordan Henderson not in the red? Well, do we miss an opportunity here? You know, you know, you have an opportunity to influence these beforehand. I do, I do. Well, it's uh, just it's coming to me now. Do you know what I mean? You can say. <laughs> why am I united on the red? The Glazers are sticking around. Do we miss this too? This would be. I love you, this energy. Just suppressing this. You know, this would yeah. be great. But uh, well, look, this is what we went with, and I think uh, it's fair. You could talk to me united if you like, rather not. Uh, 
We, we will. We have a good amber though. The season is nearly upon us. We're like 10 days away from the... Uh, community Shield? Yeah. Is it that, is it that close? Jesus, it is. Right. Always thinks up when you're the old Community Shield. Who's in it this year? City and... Who won the cup? City and City. City, City against... Uh, who came second? Presume Arsenal. Arsenal. City, City Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, Man United yeah, for yeah. finishing City Arsenal. runners up in the cup now. I think it's usually the Premier League runners-up, isn't it's it? It's Premier League runners-up, yeah. Second, uh, United that, City Arsenal. The correction. Uh, we'll move on to the Amber. Yeah. GA coverage and the GA fixtures, generally speaking. The uh, Camogie fixtures at the weekend went a little bit under the radar, um, not least because it's all out at Hurling final weekend as well. But so you put Waterford Camogie in the green, right? Yeah, of course. And they're through, is it 70-something 70 years? 78, 78 years. 78 yeah. years since they've been in. And uh, they both All-Ireland semi-finals puck of the ball in the in between the two of them mm. and the uh, LGFA semi-finals are next weekend but they're getting almost no coverage at the moment compared with uh, well the main the main bit of coverage about the LGFA and women's football season Gaelic football have been about the non-strike strike right that has been the significant thrust of the coverage as opposed to analysis of the matches and uh, everybody knowing exactly what's going on but there's been Big surprises or big name teams have been going out and struggling, uh, particularly in the football. And in the hurling, you've got this incredible bubbling up of Waterford, who might be about to win an All-Ireland before the men's team. Uh, and it's getting almost no coverage. I just think it's a, instead of aping what the men did with their season, there was a big opportunity for the women to let the men rush through. Like, OK, you've made a bad decision there. You've, you've, you've hand the summer, rest of the summer over to soccer and whatever else is going on. And they could have sat back and gone, well, it leaves us free for like all of August and the first two weeks of September. And we're going to have an Ireland hurling slash camogie final on the first Sunday in September, like there always is. It's just, it's going to be the women's. And I thought that was like, I thought it was a fairly obvious thing to do. Obviously the split season, they don't own their own pitches and this is all part of the, it's all part of the GA. you know. Now you've got to do what we're doing just in case, you know, uh, everybody realises that these sports are amazing and you get all the coverage. I don't know what they, like, I, anyway. What what's the rush? Why what? are we flaking through this? Like I don't I know it's you're talking about the men's now, right? Everything, everything. The last intercounty fixture is Sunday the thirteenth of August. It's just around the corner. I know it's for the club game, but my argument is the club game's too parochial for everyone to be interested in. If you want to spread the game to the widest audience, what are you rushing for? This is great at the moment. Like it's adrenaline rush. So like now we're on to the football final. It's brilliant, very, very exciting. But like there's absolutely no room to breathe or reflect. Yeah, I disagree somewhat on the club the club thing. Club is parochial by its very definition, but I, I also think club is only parochial because we, it doesn't get the, the, the space to breathe, as you say. Like, it needs space to breathe in order for people to become interested. It doesn't interested. need that much space. Well, like, uh, do you know, we were all interested in the Kilmacud Lens stuff last year because it had... But that was an extraordinary moment. And it was obviously... Nothing to do with the fixture list. Yeah, it was mental. But, but like, the club fixtures... So, uh, so uh, did... Glenn beat Kilku in the Ulster final or Ulster semi final? Ulster club final, yeah. Ulster club final. Like, um, so, how many people were legitimately interested in that? Because I would have been on your side, Shane, the whole way through. I just don't feel like it has justified the handing over. Um, so, Glenn played Kilku, if, if memory serves, and fairly controversial. On the field, afterwards, there's like, well, what they were doing was completely unacceptable. And uh, I was like, oh, this is very interesting, isn't it? But, like, it kind of was a tiny little, just a little, a little kind of bubble of a story, and then it disappeared. But if anybody had, like, if, if that was an intercounty game, where on the field afterwards they're like, oh, that's completely unacceptable. 
<clears throat> we would still be talking about it. So I'm not sure it has crossed over to mainstream. Yeah, but it's give it a bit of time. Like the Dublin Senior Championship is is very competitive. Kilmico don't necessarily walk it. Uh, no, but uh, they don't play very interesting football. No, they don't. Like there's a, a black death element to a lot of uh, to some of the club teams for whatever reason. They don't play the same swashbuckling style as the county team. Like I, 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 like I was in Galway last summer and I went to a couple of Galway club championship matches just on a, uh, on a Sunday just to watch it. Yeah. I, and I have no, re- and I had no affiliation with any of the teams. So, but that's either tourists passing interest in it. Yeah, but is that not the is that not the is that not the type of people they're trying to draw into the club game? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think. It's uh, well, well, the the, the, the inter county fans that have no interest in club until they actually watch a match and they're like, oh, this is actually. Really high quality. Well, like if you watch Len Kilku, that's really it's, it's high quality football. A lot of them are intercounty players anyway. No, if the if the general motivation, if the overall goal is to promote the club game in a much better way, then yeah, this is a huge success. But I also thought that the GA's mandate was to spread the game to the widest number of people, and you're alienating a huge cohort by doing this. But in my how, opinion, but are you not are you not bringing in all? Are you not like you're giving the club game space? How's that have, alienating them? We have seven months to to have this debate. Well, I know, but I'll be look. It's there for a reason. I'm saying. Also, I know we're going to talk to Seamus Hickey here about Limerick, and we're going to do a lot on Limerick. I see one comment there saying that we're not doing enough celebrating Limerick. But one question I will ask is: uh, John Kiley, thirteen and thirteen finals, hundred percent record. Is this Limerick side the best ever? Or do they have to win it next year to make it statistically a... We're moving on to Limerick and Green, yeah? Yeah, yeah. before we finish. Um, I, uh, that was the point I was making about the conversation with Nash on Friday. I was like, can't say that now. And it's hard not to say it now, basically. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know. Obviously, if they win next year, it, it ends all debate. I, well, that, but that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Like That's just statistically, but are they actually... So I, th- I think the conversation is now about the greatest GAA team of all time. And they're right there with the dubs. Mm. Like, well, hold hard on. To compare it all. Uh, are they right there with the dubs? They're right, right there. They're nip and tuck. Yeah, right? if they win two more All Irelands. They're right there with the dubs. Uh, if, so it, it'll be it'll be five next year. Yeah, but it'll actually be six and seven. Mm-hmm. And so um, they are they're catching up on the dubs. Like the, the most uh, mic drop moment for me was the thirtieth point when it goes over the bar and Kylie and Kinnerk just embrace. It's like because that was their target. Yeah, it was obviously yeah. very much a there we go. Like they didn't care about the 29th point but the 30th point was like we've done it we've reached like so they're, they're such just killers uh, they don't hold back lovely photo there on, on screen of John Kiley and Joe McKenna um, man it gave a lot to Limerick Hurling as well it was nice to see that little moment those eyes oh. Kiley's eyes <laughs> sorry Kylie, uh that five minute period when he was on his own up there with his kids they lifted a trophy together <laughs> and then he took it himself but so adopted JP uh, they, they actually went into a highlights thing in the stadium oh. for a couple of minutes and I was like oh they're going to miss the John Carley presentation here and the highlights kept going but he he was last right and he was waiting for everybody else and loads of people brought their kids up and he was like halfway up when he was like oh I don't know my kids with me and so he legs it onto the field like literally kind of some of the Kilkenny players are coming through the tunnel and he's kind of gently waiting for them politely going oh, hurry up lads and he legs it over and grabs the two girls and then suddenly they're like the, the three of them are up there um, and then he lets them go and then he has a little moment where he has a dance and he's dancing for about two minutes leading the crowd in a sing song and then he spots JP and brings him down and it's like uh, it was the most celebratory I haven't seen all the trophy lifts now because some years you're just trying to get out but um, a massive crowd stayed as well and a lot of Kilkenny people stayed 
I think they were appreciating what they'd seen. Yeah, I know. I was noticing that when they ran away with it at the end of the game, I didn't see on TV anyway a lot of Kilkenny fans leaving. But that uh, five minute period or so where Kylie just went into overdrive was magic. Love seeing that. Oh, even before his Absolutely interview on love TV, it. he was losing the head. No inhibitions, like just went for it. Yeah, mm. and uh, that is like to apparently cliche. That is what it's all about, though. Like that is just brilliant to see. Why do you think he was? It I don't know. I'd say, I'd say it's relief because it was before the semi final against Galway. He was getting a bit ratty with media. Felt it was a bit of an unfair dig at at his players and his squad and the perceived unfair advantage that they have. And he obviously disagrees. And he said they put a lot of work into it. This is all very natural stuff. So I think it's the release of energy. Yeah. yeah and the start of the year was the there's a softening up going on against us. So like it had been the slow steady build and the, the like the monster championship. They as somebody in the comments says. They needed Tipperary to screw up for them to be able to win the competition. And winning that competition gave them the time off yeah. to work on stuff and get everybody back fit as opposed to playing an extra game. That's, you know? why, I, that's why I think Munster might be more of a challenge for them these days than the latter part of well, that's, Ireland. Like. That was the consensus among the people I was speaking to. Yeah. Yeah, just get out of Munster. Because they're nine points every final victory, nine point final victory. I mean, is there a Crook Park team? Like, uh, all the cliches about the great teams, like, well, they really do come alive in Crook Park. They seem to understand the geometry of the stadium better than any team has ever played there. It's also like the Limerick support. Uh, the, the, there should be a word of the Limerick support because Ashing O'Reilly spoke to a few ones in the, uh, outside Crook Park and they actually said the interest in this team has reached fever pitch. Like You'd think in the first year this will be at, at its highest but every year the Limerick get better and better. And I met Hammy Dawson, a Limerick superfan down in Limerick last week. They lose the heads over this team like and rightly so. They're unbelievable. Cal O'Neill is 21 years of age, comes off the bench and but yeah. does what he does as well. Like yeah. the future, this, it's not the end of this team either, which is scary. Uh, no, the age profile is good, but at the same time, Munster was a real struggle for them. Like mm. Claire, right there with them. Oh, Claire, Claire must be kicking themselves. What the hell do they have to do to beat Kilkenny? Because I, I think Claire would have had more in the tank in the last yeah. ten minutes. And I don't know if they just understand a bit more, or if they're less in awe of this Limerick team because they play them more often. I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about that with Seamus Hickey in a moment. There's one more left, Waterford, and we're going to do this in more detail with Sarah Donovan. Yeah, I think we should mention definitely Waterford. Uh, after the weekend, of course, Cork uh, progressed into the All-Ireland Camogie final as well with a 15 points to 2-6 win over Galway. But um, yeah, it was really all about Waterford, wasn't it? And 78-year uh, gap bridged. Um, started out of the blocks pretty slowly in that semi-final as well, but I mean, came into it. And uh, in the end, it was a 112 to 111 uh, win over, over Tipperary. Uh, that slow start, 1945 was their last appearance in a final uh, Beth Carton, player of the match, um, but other players stepped up to the mark as well. Vicky Faulkner in defence, Lorraine Bray as well. It was Carton that gets ma- uh, player of the match because she gets eight points, half of them from play. Um, Tip probably be kicking themselves a little bit. They had chances, but Waterford certainly the, the story of the weekend. Of the it was Camogie. a seriously slow start, wasn't it? They were one seven to three points down mm. Waterford after twenty five minutes. So to come back from there and for Tip to only score four more points, like the unbelievable performance after the 25th minute onwards. But yeah, like you say, we'll talk about, to Sarah about it, but 78 years of waiting. Here we go, two weeks' time. Uh, right, that's this week's performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings. Eight minutes past eight this morning, Brayburn Coffee, the official coffee partner of OTB. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience after the break Seamus Hickey first Tommy Walsh speaking with Ashling at full time Ash, it is impossible they're just an outstanding team even if they don't ever win another All-Ireland they'll go down as one of the best teams ever like you know I thought when we you know Henry is 10 there's a good few of us at 9 many more with 8 All-Irelands 
I thought the no never catches, you know, but <laughs> it looks like these lads are more than halfway there now, so maybe, you know, they'll go on and win many, many more. But whether they do or not, it's all about it's not all about titles, like just as players that can play the game like you look at the fundamentals of hurling to be able to win your own ball is one they can do that and can do it very uh, better than most fitness sure they're one of the fittest teams I'd say has ever played the game hearts you know mindsets they're the best in, they seem to be the best of all aspects of the game but probably a fundamental of the GA which was never there of hurling that was never there before was to play around with the ball five yard ten yard passes that was always frowned upon in Ireland you know the traditionalists and I'm probably one of them you know never got great enjoyment out of, uh, of that but they're after taking that now to a new level so now if you want to I suppose take down this team or even you know win all Ireland's now I think that's a fourth fundamental that will come into it that you may learn whether you like it or not OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from off the ball. All right, it is uh, 10 minutes past eight this morning. I'm delighted to say Seamus Hickey is with us. Seamus, congratulations on being from Limerick because, uh, you know, you guys are kings of the world. Listen, it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to believe. It's, it's incredible to believe uh, four in a row uh, it has actually happened in Limerick. It's, uh, it's bananas. And to hear the likes of Tommy Walsh talking about it and the likes of the Kilkenny players that have had eight All-Irelands, it's, ju- it's just, it's wild to think that Limerick are in the same conversation, just considering what we've endured, what we endured in the 90s for such incredible teams, like really, really talented teams, couldn't do it. Uh, we had a go in the 2000s and, and, and the, I suppose the teens, but like this team, they're just, they're just phenomenal. Like, and then I, I just, I was, I was standing there with my hands on my head at the, at the full-time whistle yesterday, just really, really taking it in and just trying to appreciate how lucky we are to be represented by the, the group of the group of men and women in the Limerick setup. Um, they're just they're, they're, an, they're an exceptional bunch, and uh, you're just in, just incredibly proud. Of them. It's um, it's funny, but generally, when any sporting team or person exerts such dominance over their rivals, there's like a brooding sense of "oh, we're sick of this." But actually, I don't really feel that from the general public yet. I mean, I'm sure Tip fans maybe might feel a little bit different than some Clare fans and some, but even the Kilkenny fans was like, what? "Like, what are we? Yeah, yeah, we didn't nearly beat them. We weren't, we weren't like it wasn't like something happened. They were like, oh, we're so close to them. It was just it, there was an and there was a big Kilkenny crowd who stayed, particularly on the hill, to watch the presentation, which is unusual, I think. I mean, I don't remember it, but there's just this kind of everybody wants to soak in the level of achievement and greatness we're seeing. It's, so that was that was a credit to the performance. The second half performance yesterday was was worldly. It was it was incredible. And then obviously the the huge crowd that stayed around. It was history. It was history for like the only there's only three teams that have done this to win four in a row, and one of them was in the forties. So you know that you're talking about that incredible Kilkenny team from 06 to 09 and, and what it took to stop them in, to, in 2010 from Tipperary was, you know, arguably the greatest All-Ireland final that we've ever seen. So, you know, Limerick are now in that conversation. And, and I think it was respect for the performance. It was respect for the history that probably brought that about. Like, I've, I, I, you know, I've followed the, the the media cycle for the last couple of years around this Limerick team there's fatigue I, I, I there's no doubt about that like uh, I know that people would would, would prefer uh, you know 
something different and change is good in in sport. You know, for for supporters like ourselves, we're we're really just trying to appreciate what it lasts. But I really do think that it was it was the performance, it was the second half, uh, and just the sheer the sheer class of it that uh, you know it's it's exceptionally difficult to do anything but sit back and appreciate the, the quality uh, and the skill and and the mental fortitude to be six points down in the first half and to produce what they did in the second half. Um, it, it, it's right. I, I think it's only right that you, you sit back and you, you applaud that. Could you have possibly foreseen this, Seamus, in the in the couple of years before, say, 2018? Because I was chatting to Eamon Cregan last week and he referenced the lift in the Treaty Academy that was set up, the Mary I win in 2016, the first ever Mary I, Mary I Skipping Cup win. And at that point, I think, Eamon Cregan did an interview in 2016 where he said it's an absolute disgrace, the gap between 73 and then. Could you, could you have seen this around the corner? Like, I know these players, the, the Lynches and the uh, Hayes were coming around the corner, but did you ever think this would come about? So, I don't know anybody who could possibly have predicted this level of dominance because, so, as good as, as, good as the team was, and in 2018, I knew that there was something incredible brewing in Emmerich. So, we had this exceptional talent pipeline. Uh, we had just had Kyle Hayes had come into the panel at just at 18 years of age, had come in from a, an All-Ireland minor win. Winning All-Ireland minor, minor titles was still brand new to us like uh, in Limerick. That, uh, the lifting Limerick strategy headed by Joe McKenna was starting to bear fruit underage. And, okay, okay great, there's, there's, there's green shoots coming. Um, and when we won in 18, I said, you know, it's going to be impossible to stop this team. And when I so I retired in at the end of eighteen, fully aware uh, that I was you know I, I was sitting out on Ireland um, with this team that was there. And it's a, it's a combination of the exceptional talent, Paul Knurk, uh, and you know Keen mentioned him in his in his speech yesterday. He's just his hurling knowledge, his 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 training, um, his ability to convey, you know, just just the. The importance of discipline, structure, shape, and how they how he wanted the, the, the game played, and then the strengths of the players then were able to execute it. John Kiley's ability to to just, I suppose, to lead the ship, be an incredible figurehead, uh, make good decisions, uh, and trust the players. You know, it, it's a it's a whole package. Um, and I mentioned this I mentioned this over the weekend that continuity, and I suppose you know. It, it's, it can't be taken for granted. The, 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 I suppose the commitment and the effort that's required to sustain this. And you saw with Jim Gavin in, in Dublin, you know, the, the personal sacrifice you have to make to lead, you know, this a, a group. And, and, and as special as the group is, it, it's, uh, it doesn't lessen the, the burden. Um, and that's what Limerick have had. And to say that you could have foreseen this, I couldn't have foreseen four in a row, no way. Because the standard, the standard of hurling, I felt, was, was on the up. Uh, in 2018, I thought there was far more competitors. Uh, I thought there was far more teams coming. Clare, particularly, uh, Cork were, you know, they really looked like they were coming in 2021. Um, tip after, you know, after a great start to this year, I thought with Liam Cahill, we're, we're going to be in the shakeup. Uh, and Kilkenny are Kilkenny. So uh, I, I couldn't have seen this dominance. And uh, it's it's a it's it's an incredible reflection on the Limerick team that they've just found a way every single every single time. The semi-final and final victories. Uh, over the last couple of years um, I said last year's final obviously it ends up quite close but it did feel like Limerick were certainly the better team on the day and um, uh, the the difference between the Croke Park games and the Munster games is it feels quite pronounced 
uh, certainly some Munster hurling people that I was talking to last night were like, once they get out of Munster next year, that, that's all they need to look after from this point forward because that is such a dogfight. So then this is, and I think, you know, you mentioned it just before the break as well. Like, so to to get to a Munster final means you get a break. Uh, you get two weeks to prepare for a Munster final. Then you come out of the Munster final. If you win the Munster final, you get three weeks to prepare for an All-Ireland semi-final. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, it's the turnaround of two weeks to a quarter final. But in the Munster Championship, it's week on week with a break week thrown in there in the middle. And it's it's exceptionally tough to to like the the Limerick Clare game in the Gaelic grounds was an evening game. Uh, it was for Clare. It was six days after they played Tipperary in Ennis. Um, for Limerick, it was an absolute dogfight against one of their one of the most fiercest rivals over the last four years. Um, and to recover from that then again in a in a six or seven day span uh, and play another team. Uh, it's just a really difficult thing to do. Uh, and the, the Munster Championship is, you know, and and there has been a little bit of eye-rolling and the romanticising of, of the Munster Championship, but it's just it's just that difficult. When Kilkenny won their four in a row, it was, sometimes it was a sleepwalk through through the Munster Championship and, and, and it was a peak for uh, the All-Ireland series of a semi-final and final. If you can get to the semi-final, and I thought, and that's what I was really unsure about this year with Limerick, was the road that they'd have to go, whether it would be a qualifier route, whether it be you know a, a quarter-final route. They just benefit. They benefit from being together longer. They benefit as a team for gelling in terms of game plans and planning. That the, the time, that the extra time they're able to give it for the semi-final, for the final. Uh, and they're more in the tank, uh, so it, it's it, it means a lot when you get to that, that the latter stages and you just have a breathe a bit of breathing space. Uh, so and that makes a huge difference. I think Keen Lynch referenced the, the the squad of thirty seven in his speech uh, yesterday, Seamus. And when you look at it, like if you said before the game, Hegarty would have a quiet enough game by his standards, like Gillan as well, Flanagan, compared to what we're used to seeing them uh, perform at. And then this is a team without Sean Finn and Declan Hannan as well, like. That makes it all the more remarkable. Like they're players who weren't involved maybe in previous years or games, and, and they're just stepping up. That really struck me after, so especially after the semi-final. So I always I was of the opinion in the last, in last definitely in the last four years that Limerick's half forward line were absolutely crucial to everything that we did in terms of retention of puck out, in terms of the physicality around the middle, and Tom Morrissey and Garrod were like you know, orchestrators in, in chief of the destruction around the middle third at Limerick were so dominant there for, I'd say, I would say the previous three years. This year, Tom Arcee has been fantastic um, for the Munster Championship, really, really carried the line, I would say, when when Keane and Garrod weren't doing so well. Um, but, you know, it, it, to, for Limerick to find a way, they have, they have found a way in every single game when questions have been asked in tight games, uh, in games when they've been, again, Six points down against Galway, they could have been nine points down uh, with a goal chance for Galway. Uh, you know, Kenny had two goal chances outside of the two that they got. Uh, Owen Cody flashed the ball wide in the first half that could have gone to far post. He really did look sharp in the first half. You know, so they, they just they're masters of finding a way. And this third quarter kick is 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 phenomenal to behold. Like it's uh, like the talk about the power that they bring. What Kyle Hayes and Dimmer Burns did from from the half back line was immense uh, in the 15 minutes after halftime, and you know just to, they, they continually they're like problem solvers. And, and John Kiley, you know, in fairness, he, he he's exceptionally humble and he defers a lot of credit to the players. But to be fair, the players are masters 
at finding solutions to problems, uh, finding a way around the, 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 I suppose, the strategies and the, the different things that other teams throw at them, whether it was three around the middle at different times for Kilkenny yesterday or the same at Galway. Galway withdrew a half forward at the midfield, cluttered it up. You know, just find a way. And Peter Casey, you know, what an arc to see him to complete that 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 kind of that comeback after his five point performance in 2021 against Cork, and then to do his cruciate and then to come back and then five points from play in the second half yesterday. Like, you know, I I always felt that with Hugh Lawler going to be on, on Galan, that we needed somebody else to contribute. Whether I thought it was going to be maybe Seamus Flanagan, uh, but Peter Casey looked like he was coming in the semi final against Galway, two points from play. Uh, and then you know what he did yesterday was like it was ridiculous. He, he he threw Mikey Butler off him uh, on the Hogan stand and you know, on the move floated the ball over. And he's he's not a he's not a big striker, but he just he he, he was incredible. Um, and and it was again it, different people have stood up at different times. It's truly a team sport. Um, but you know it, it, it is it, the thirty seven that Ian referred to. It, it's in, it, as a player and a former player. I I know the training that they've done. I know, I know how important it is to to have a good a good panel of players where you're you're seventeen, eighteen, nineteen on the on, on the B team, we'll say, mm-hmm. uh, playing the A team or pushing them and pushing them for their places, keeping them honest. Uh, and and I know I know that with the under twenty successes that we've had in the last couple of years as well. That, that does bode well for the future. And Carl O'Neill's impact when he came on, Adam English, you know, there, there's lots of guys. So uh, we're very, very fortunate in memory. We should talk a little bit about the first half because it, um, I actually think Kenny did really well. That, like, if you were going to be drawing up a template for causing Limerick trouble, it was being able to effectively have a short puck out, which meant that you can then, you know, move, move Limerick around the place. They were hunting in packs, they were absolutely voracious in appetite and application and uh, a lot of their players most of their big players were playing quite well they're getting Owen Cody into the game early and he's having success and that was maybe slightly different from the previous year they'd started well they hadn't allowed Gerard Hegarty to rampage through and score an all-time great goal and um, and I thought you know some of the the passing that Limerick had in that first half in particular the radar was just slightly off the touch was slightly off they looked a little bit flat like almost lethargic and maybe it was to do with the um, the setup from Kilkenny maybe it was to do with defending the wind the way they had to and maybe it was just a little bit of like okay let's wait and see exactly what happens here but in the midst of all that um, Keane Lynch's performance was as good I think in the first half as it was in the second half and that's why I would have made him man of the match it, we're, we're nitpicking here but, me too no, 100% agree um, but, so, yeah, it's, it's just uh, so to your to your point then about how Kilkenny made him uncomfortable it it was. It really was the way Kenny set out their stall. Um, you could see a lot of the, you know, like like Tommy Tommy Walter referred to the short passing that that, that Limerick do, and that that you know sometimes you know as a traditionalist, it's hard to watch. I find it hard to watch at times. Some of the some of the the short passing they do around the middle, it does open them up to turnovers, and especially on a rainy day, uh, and the elements against them. Uh, you know, Kilkenny's presence, they, they funneled everything into the middle third. Limerick didn't get a chance to get out wide much at all. Uh, and even when they did, uh, Tom Morrissey and Kyle Hayes linked up for a ball before Aaron Galland's first point. But they had to take they had to take three collisions before they could even deliver a ball to, to Galland. Uh, and they did well. So so it really, it was exceptional 
um, it was an ex- it was an exceptional execution of 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 going after the midfield uh, and, and half forward line. Now, listen, if if you're going to do that against Limerick, you need to do that in the third quarter. Uh, it, it's more important to do it in the second half than it is in the first. As Galway so showed you, Kilkenny showed you, it's. Um, you know, playing against playing against the breeze in the first half, Nicky Quaid's pockets just weren't going to go. Uh, and unlike you say the previous previous two years, where you'd see great like fierce movement in the Limerick half forward line, it was very static. Really, I noticed that. So, Dermot, Dermot, or David Reedy, Keane Lynch, Tom Morrissey, and Garrod Hagerty, they were standing under pockets uh, in the first half, and it's just it's just not going to you're not you're not going to do that against quality teams. Uh, and then Kilkenny's set up for, for breaking ball they won all the breaks I would say in the first half so just they were hungry they were they were physical um, they played really really well Tom Phelan I thought was exceptional um, really really I was really nervous uh, watching uh, his performance in the first half particularly he scored a super point in the second half as well um, but I suppose where where Keane gave us an anchor was his ability to retain possession like it's it's I don't know how I don't know how you describe his ability to get the ball from the ground into his hand in traffic in the messiest of situations. He's just a magician, uh, and he did it yesterday at times, crucial times when we were really struggling to get a foothold. He was there on getting possession, taking tackles. He's the one man that, for Limerick particularly, was able to kind of navigate the the mess. The the point he set up for Tom Morrissey going into half time, where he was able to dance between five Kilkenny players, still get a hand pass over to Tom. Tom got the score and was three points down at half time. That was big. So you're only one score down at half time instead of being four points down or even six uh, as they were four minutes earlier. So, you know, I, I do think Keane is, is critical. His vision is next level. He gave Darrell Donovan scored a point in the second half to go three points up for Limerick. And Keane, he couldn't get up a hand pass to. To, to hand there was just too many people around him so he literally just flung it back 10 yards behind him to where he knew there was green shirts and split two Kilkenny players and then Dara was able to, to put it over he, he it, in Declan's absence I thought his leadership was 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 huge uh, and it was necessary because Kilkenny were were really threatening to to, to, to stretch away in, in the first half Yourself and Jerry agree on Keane Lynch's man of the match. I think Peter Casey got the official uh, man of the match last night on, on telly. Uh, I think the Sunday game panel opted for Kyle Hayes as, as their hurler of the year. Seamus, who would your your own pick for hurler of the year be? Oh, I think it's. So I think I, I think it'd be very. I, I'd be very hard to take it off Aaron Galan. My, my I, I listen. And I I love Kyle Hayes. I I love how he plays the game. I think he was again exceptional. Like, uh, he's been a nominee for hurler of the year. I think twice in the last in the last four years as well um, but but when Limerick weren't playing great Aaron Galan uh, from from the, all the way through the Munster Championship was exceptional against Galway he was exceptional um, I, I don't know how you I don't know how you take it off of Aaron Galan uh, because he really was the, the, the like in a, such a tight Munster Championship if Aaron doesn't play as well as he does if he doesn't score the goals he does uh Limerick don't make it to make don't make it out of that. So, um, from a from a full year's perspective, um, I think Aaron. But but you know when you look at Kyle's performance yesterday in closing out his performance against Galway, you know he's a special special talent. Um, but you know <laughs> if it's if it's a Limerick man at the end of the day for me it's it's, it's, a, good, it's a good decision. So. Yeah, um, James, I. I... I, I'm almost loath to ask this final question to you I, because everybody from Limerick was just enjoying the moment and 
um, you know, uh, it's, it's very important that we do all slow down and take a breath. However, the team is so good, it's impossible not to think about the history and where they could go and to just have a little daydream about this might not stop for a while. So what what's the ceiling? Do they Are they chasing a five? Are they chasing the dubs? So there is no ceiling uh, because the reality is so Aaron Galan is 26. Um, you know, Kyle Hayes is, is, is 25. Uh, you know, a lot of the key figures in this Limerick team are nowhere near 30. Uh, so, you know, the, the reality is that, and I, like, I'm, I'm guilty of being nervous uh, and, and been slightly doubtful and, and been kind of scared by Limerick history. And it, it was nearly too good to be true, true for so long. And, uh, you know, anybody that asked me before the game yesterday, I was, I was nuts. Uh, because, you know, again, Munster had been come so hard and because we were, we were being brought back to the pack in a lot of games, uh, and playing to the level, I would say, of, of the opposition rather than, than what we were capable of, uh, and injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I didn't know, I didn't see, I, 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 I didn't believe that that performance in the second half was possible against a team as good as Kilkenny. Um, so, you know, when they produce, when they produce what they produced on Sunday, you know, it's it's hard, it's hard to to say that you know anybody's going to stop them until they're stopped. And that's one of the, I suppose, the most honest things I can say is until they're beaten. They're the best, uh, and you know, for me, the, the the limit the limit is 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 is, is endless, really. Uh, until somebody gets it together, whether it's Kilkenny or whether it's Clare or whether it's Tipperary or Cork or Galway, you know, someone has to take them down. Uh, yeah. And and Limerick have shown that they're very they're very adaptable. So uh, it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's really it's good to dream, Limerick. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy the daydreams, but enjoy the reality too, because the reality is pretty awesome. Seamus, great stuff. <laughs> Thanks a million. Thanks, man. Bye. Seamus you there, uh, enjoying every second of it. Off the ball, coming to the Cork Podcast Festival on Sunday, the 27th of August in the Cork Opera House. Jimmy Barry Murphy in the house, plus a few other famous faces to be announced. For tickets, go to corkpodcastfestival.ie forward slash off the ball. Speaking of Cork, Sarah Donovan joins us in the studio. Good morning, lads. How are you? I'm devastated it's all over. Mm, I know. That's and one I've, side of it, isn't it? I've club camogie training tonight. The club isn't the same. <laughs> <laughs> You're not buying it. I look, I absolutely loved every minute of the last six months. Mm. It's been a roller coaster, helped by the fact that Limerick's season has been so mistake laden. Yeah. And yet they cruised to a finish yesterday. Best to last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, they're obviously not just a Croke Park team because they've won everywhere, but they're, like, they're an amazing Croke Park team. I what they managed to do yesterday and what we looked for mm. I suppose during the week was Kilkenny you know a performance a reaction yeah for we're going to say 28 minutes 29 minutes yesterday Kilkenny had them on the ropes and that's probably epitomised by Tom Phelan's performance against Dermot Burns and Tom Phelan every time he won the ball and every time you know the ball goes over the bar you're going he's given this fella yeah. serious hassle and then it's Dermot Burns tracks him down like Terminator and turns him over and then that starts the resurgence. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. It was that quick turnover, wasn't it? Those, that, that, those three Kilkenny points, as we mentioned earlier, 25th, 26th, 27th minutes, I think they were, like starting with the own Cody run, the, the unbelievable stick work, and ending with the, the Barry Nash overcarry and the TJ Reid free, but then from then on. Yeah, I suppose what, what if you pa- when you panned out from... The, it was the Richie Reid point mm. and you see Tom Morrissey seven, eight yards behind him and he's really struggling to get 
anywhere near him mm. and you're going okay if Tom Morrissey's struggling here this means yeah. Limerick are in big big trouble and then it's the Dermot Burns run dispossession and then they start to motor this is at the end of the first half to this get them the, back in so this it, is it, well this is the start of the second half I was, what I'm saying is the, the performance of Dermot Burns in the first half you know was, yes wasn't up to par and then in the second half it's all time great again it's all time great again the thing is right because like it felt like Kilkenny were much further ahead on the field Mm. than on the scoreboard at half time and it felt like the last couple of minutes of the first half Limerick started to be able to do some bits and pieces that were like oh no we're still still Limerick don't worry about it Keen Lynch started to do some bits and pieces he had some support from there was a bit of Kyle Hayes there was one of the points there that um, Seamus Hickey was talking about at the end at the end of the first half they got a couple of points to bring it back from six to to three and it was like just a little bit easy yeah so the Gillan the cuteness the composure Gillan in the first half you could say he's chasing hurler of the year Owen Cody is tearing up a storm at the other end of the pitch. There's, you know, possibly a tendency when you're chasing hurler of the year to do it on your own. And Gillan pulls out, goes, no, no, I'm not the option here. Lynch is punning through, pops it up for him. Lynch puts the ball over the bar. And it's that process piece. Process, process, process that they stuck to. Mm. Everyone has referenced it afterwards. And I know they're playing down this four in a row and that they weren't chasing it, but... When you're in the middle of a process and you're doing it for the fourth year in a row, you have to believe that what you're going to do is going to be unbelievable. Yeah. And chasing four in a row it is unbelievable. Bit, it must get a bit boring unless you spice it up somehow. And There's now, the carrot. Yeah. Now they're spicing it up with a bit of like all-time history, you know. Chasing the dubs. It's a magical thing in five. But here's the best part about the five is that actually they can chase the dubs instead of chasing five in a row. Right? So you can almost ignore the five in a way. Um, and still have something to go for as opposed to and that's what makes the process mm, so worthwhile as a group but you're looking for that same I suppose energy to go into next year you're looking for the players to be fit enough to do it but it's so difficult isn't it because Munster is such a dogfight like there's a possibility they don't get out of Munster next year and we don't actually get to see them have the opportunity to do the five in a row we say that but they found a way and in every game a different crop of players has stepped up mm. so in the Munster Championship I thought it was Tom Morrissey it was Dan Morrissey um, in the Munster Final it was Gillan but it was David Reedy in the last 10 minutes with Adam English and Carl O'Neill semi-final against Galway it was Gillan and Darrow Donovan yeah. um, and then in the final oh. different players again Dermot Burns uh, Kyle Hayes Casey Keen Lynch ah. Like here's the thing they haven't had Keane Lynch properly this season No, mm. and they probably will have him hopefully fingers crossed from a, a, a fitness perspective next season for the whole thing and maybe that's the difference His best game this season before that was the league final where he gave Galan every single ball that it was pin, pin perfect yeah. and that was the league final which didn't matter in, you know, in the grand scheme of things but yeah. that was the last time he had I suppose patched together a, a kind of a near perfect 60-70 yeah. minute performance so for him to take that long and then obviously to peak on the biggest day. Another big story. It is incredible. Like, uh, I, we're, I, we're, not, we're not taking it for granted, I don't think, but, um, you know, him and Declan Hannan, direct roles reversed from last year, the two of them with the trophy lifts, and it being so obviously sincere, like, 
I, I don't know did he have notes it didn't look there was something in front of him I think it might have just been the list of people did but really like, look down though yeah it, no uh, it was just so like here I'm going to talk about everything that's really important and but if you're four years or five, well, they're actually six years in a setup, right because they've won five of six and you're meeting the same guys coming in and out the door at you mm-hmm. for six years it's very easy for them to flash in front of you on the biggest stage so I think he did a brilliant job yesterday yeah. and that's the sincerity that you're talking about he's mm-hmm. thinking about every single fellow who tapped him on the back for the last six years in every training ground and every pitch that he's been through. We're not a team or a family through thick and thin and especially on the good days. <laughs> uh, it was just, I don't know, it, like, unfortunately the speeches have to be so long because there's so many different people to thank now but it was, um, it was really special I thought and the, the celebrations that Kylie had with his family and taking the moment afterwards and then just going completely mad. Like completely <laughs> mad. mad. Bananas. Great. Yeah. Very un-Jim Gavin-esque. Yeah. The, so yeah. if you want to, what do you say, diversify in terms of what the, the, the uh, managers do, yeah. mm. Jim Gavin has a way and John Kiley has a way. Yeah. And I thought John Kiley's way was Jim Gavin. Like for for the first couple of years, not quite on the same uh, on the same level, but like, you know, he was quite reserved in his celebrations. A, bit, a little bit more controlled, but yesterday he just went... Yeah, off the chair. It was brilliant to see it. Yeah. They obviously felt pressure because the, you think back to the start of the year when we were talking about this earlier, there's a softening up going on and then it was like, uh, we're not getting enough credit. It's like, hang on. You were telling us. So they, uh, their narrative had to change and their response to it had to change and they've managed to think their way through all of the, the challenges. At any point this year, what was the closest they were to being in trouble? Was it Clare? Are Clare their true rivals at the moment? I'm going to say Cork because they had to win that game and they couldn't I suppose, worry about Tip and Watford and what was happening on the other side. And in the Cork game, Cork asked lots of questions of them, but for a couple of mistakes and obviously the penalty that went against mm. Cork, Damien Cahillans, you know, freeze against him. They they got a, a bit of luck in the Cork game and Tip obviously on, were undone by Waterford on the other side and that allowed them to parachute into a Munster final and all of the Limerick fans descend on the field going oh my god the legacy's back on we have a chance we're going for five in a row that shift in ten minutes in that game in the Gaelic grounds was the turning of their year Yeah Those scenes celebrating the Munster as well the whole pitch is totally full yeah. like that's the other thing about the, the Limerick fans are just enjoying the moment and uh, we're the ones who are talking about the five and six. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. They're present. Yeah, but I, I, for, for us, and look, obviously Seamus referenced it, you know, he understands, mm. you know, you'd like to see change and you'd like to see something different. But if they keep achieving these new things, then it makes it interesting for us because there's such a jeopardy in going for four, going for five, going for six. Yeah. That's where it gets exciting for the, the pundit or the media talking about it. Yeah. The players stay present too, though. And I think Caroline Curd was mentioned at the end by Cian Lynch but clearly the players just like um, a maternal figure she'd be delighted <laughs> yeah like, that's the least sexy thing you can say about her <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah sometimes <laughs> but, but I, I'm sure her influence in the team and the players mention her for a reason is significant like yeah I, I obviously we don't have an insight into you know how involved she is but inevitably she's very important and that performance coach piece very few teams in Munster and there's been a lot of I suppose jest about the different performance coaches who've been brought into the different mm. teams to try and emulate her and it hasn't worked. No, I'm sure there's only one winner, right? So, but like our track record is, is pretty good. We had Eamon O'Shea on Friday and he was talking about the backroom team that they had. Keane O'Neill was there strength and conditioning and uh, Caroline Curd was there to stop the five in a row. 
So she's seen the the opposite side of what the uh, opponents are going to be trying to do to Tipperary next year. My current manager, actually, or my current coach, uh, Mickey Dad in the club, uh, she was with Carrick Tool in 2011 when they won their first county championship completely against the run of play. And uh, he's got some great insights, which he promises he's going to tell me about when I'm finished with right. Dr. Vaughan. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. so maybe tonight. I'll try and get a bit out of him tonight. Yeah. Uh, Shifty Lad says, good morning, lads. Referee was great as well. Um, yeah, so John Keenan of Ockram in Wicklow, uh, 50 years of age, final all Ireland is he 50 next year we're, we're, next we're year, already yeah. aging him sorry John it's very important at that stage <laughs> I understand um, well, it means he can't referee the final next year because he will be 50 next yeah. year yeah. Um, and he didn't get any big games after last year's Munster final yeah. which everybody says is like literally one of the greatest games of all time but he got punished for missing a few calls I don't even remember what he missed uh, there was a bit of hacking there in the first half right. when mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. but yesterday he was incredibly passive which is what you want from a referee and we'll reference the Waterford tip game later in the Camogie and I thought Liz Dempsey in that game did very well and I, I can be quite critical of her in other games so referees overall had a had a decent game this weekend um, he I suppose Derek Link suggested he missed a couple of calls uh, I don't think that was enough. The last thought there was a 65 that was nailed on. Definitely a 65. The there was. There was. It was a two-point swing. That's but fine. That's the umpire's call. It's not John Keenan's fault necessarily. So. Here's and the thing. The it's not actually a full two-point swing either though, right? Because Kilkenny had the opportunity to defend from the puck out. It wasn't like it was a free from the position and, you know, like... so. Yeah. It, the only other thing that I still can't cope with is the throwing. And there was a fair bit of that yeah. yesterday. It's, it's At one stage, John is running alongside Keen Lynch, and Keen Lynch softly, like he's just—it's not a throw, it's not, it's not a hand pass. And John's running alongside, him and I'm like, call him. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only criticism I have of John from yesterday. But I don't think it's going to impact, impact the game because I think Limerick were always going to do what they did and cruise to that final whistle. Should they do this on a case by case basis, or is a, a hard cut off of fifty? the correct thing to do would there be better being a fitness test that if you hit this level of fitness you can keep going because famously the Maldini project um, at Milan they were like oh we can keep Paolo Maldini for an extra year or we can sign a kid spend four years getting him up to a level and he's never going to be as good as Maldini is because of the experience he has and then Munster Rugby embraced this and tried to keep their players for as long as possible because you can see the value of it he now has the experience of refereeing this All-Ireland final. Apparently there's a good young Limerick referee as well who's not getting games because obviously Limerick are so good. This is Johnny Murphy that you're referring to, I think. Yeah. So what do you do if you're the GA when you come up to a situation like this? Like, I understand why you have these rules. There has to be some point where... They've like, moved on everything they've ever wanted to move on. They can move on this if they want. And if John Keenan is fit enough next year, there shouldn't be an issue here. They've changed, they've changed the penalty because of Nash. Like yeah. these, they've changed yeah. the game exactly. in every which way. So let's not... Get you know. So you think they should? It should be a fitness criteria as opposed to an age-based criteria. There's nothing going to change between now and next January with John Keenan. He's not going to go on the beer for the winter, like you know. Yeah. He's not going to come back two stone heavier. I doubt he will. But yeah. you know, let's be honest. He should get a window if he wants to be there. Uh, so I, 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 it's unfair to obviously ask, but uh, how many All Irelands are Limerick going to win? One more. Right. Not the six. Uh, yeah. It's the bodies, lads. That uh, that high impact, physical, challenging game that they play. Mm-hmm. It's, the, the bodies are starting to break down. So, 
you need, what, 17 bodies to do that repeatedly for six, seven games in a microwave championship, yeah. as Donald Cusack like says. Yeah. McCaffrey, Paul Mannion effect. Like, the players eventually just turn around and say, right, I have, I have so many All-Irelands, I can't, I have nowhere to put them anymore. So, like, do you just take your year off and is that going to impact this Limerick team down the line? Like, that's the only way I can see them losing. Losing lads to Australia or America or... No. Having so, having, having so much... In, in the line of victories that they don't need they're, anymore they're from the age shame. profile we don't, we don't understand this as well yeah. the age profile is different though Mannion and, and yeah. McCaffrey were 21, 22 these guys mm. have gaggles of kids around them now they're you know, they're holding three babies so they're, they're stuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not heading to Australia or America just yet <laughs> yeah. or maybe they're, going, they're st- uh, stay at home dads then they want, a, they want a bit more time with their family they might have maybe. lads for the dad cast you'd never know oh, yeah, yeah. And there, was a, there was a lot of them Um <laughs> The the second half, right? What what changes from Limerick's perspective? Like, what what does Knurk do at halftime that they're what? Because Kylie says the players diagnosed what we thought the issues were, and and then it's so it sounds like at halftime there's a very calm conversation. Uh, we're happy enough with that because we haven't really done what we were trying to do. What are the problems, lads? And they tell what the problems are, and Knurk and Kylie are like, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, okay, go on, go and fix it because they didn't make any significant changes. Well, the problems are what we kind of spoke about at the start, that Richie Reid point where Tom Morrissey mm. can't get close enough to him. So it's not that it's Tom Morrissey's fault, it's that he needs support. So it's like an accordion effect. They start to contract and and, and like they're literally moving in and out as a group, the half-back line and the half-forward line, squeezing Kilkenny to put the pressure on them so that the short puck out isn't an option. Kilkenny panic start to lump the ball long and then mm. Limerick are like let's go like yeah. let's batter it and if you if you saw actually the Limerick midfielder in a couple of stages all they had to do was bat the ball down and next thing Garrod Hagerty's running at it um, Lynch is running at it and they're coming back and turning towards yeah. the Kilkenny goal mm. it's literally like an accordion the lads are just going in and out take the ball and let's go again and that's how easy it was for, for Limerick to squeeze Kilkenny. And I think one of the other things probably is is that the short puck out starts to malfunction a little bit for Kilkenny at the start of the second half and then they just lose the confidence in it. Mm-hmm. And once that's gone, they're lumping ball and um, yeah. they're like, thanks very much, lads. Yeah, and like it, it looked like they still had the confidence. You remember the Hugh Lawler ball to TJ Reid where it's just like Razor and TJ comes through with the hand and then they're moving. But all Limerick did was dial up the pressure and start to squeeze them in mm-hmm. and, and instead of having one guy running at you you had a guy running at you from the behind from yeah. back <laughs> and at you both sides yeah it was terrifying yeah absolutely terrifying um, are Clare the second best team in the country at the moment yeah why can't they beat Kilkenny because of that first half because of that mm-hmm. horrendous decision to go with the sweeper have we seen it from the best teams this year uh, there was a Few bit of in period in the first half when things were going well for Kilkenny that they actually did have one. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." But then immediately afterwards, for the next puck out, they had six forwards and six backs. So obviously, you can do a bit of it in games, but, but you, you can't do it to the extent that that Clare tried mm. and, and to do it for the exp- period of time that Clare Clare did. So I think they look back on the season and go, "That first that decision to do that in the first half was their undoing. It, it had to be." And the difficulty is that right, like. For them, the long winter is recrimination as opposed to self-confidence. Like, oh, we were so close, we were so close again. Um, whereas for Limerick, it's feasting on everybody else's deficiencies. So uh, who is getting closer? Well, and a lot is being made of the fact that Dermot Burns, you know, is so efficient yesterday from place balls, right? I know it's not a big deal. 
but it is a big deal because if you look at Clare, real malfunction when we thought at the start of the year that Aidan McCarthy was the solution mm-hmm. and they just weren't efficient, efficient enough. You have the basics, which is get your free takers right, get your midfield right. I don't think any midfield has matched up bar Clare in the the first say the, the championship grounds, game yeah. yeah that that was the one I game know, where but yeah 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 it, uh, like Mullins and it didn't go well yesterday obviously Conor Fogarty had to go wing back because of the injury to David Blanchfield Cork's midfield I don't think it's a match for Darrow Donovan and Willow Donoghue or, or Darrow Donovan Keane Lynch you know the, the combinations that have mm. been there I think you need your your midfield first and foremost and a full back like we've had big issues with different teams Cork don't have a full back they have Damon Callan, but I don't think he's the ultimate full back right I think he's been mm. um, put under pressure on different occasions uh, from Clare's point of view they lost Conor Cleary for two games and they really struggled to fill that role Dan Morrissey for Limerick has oh. been pitch perfect so you need a full back you need a decent midfield you need a a razor sharp uh, free taker and then you can go to Limerick and mm. say Here's right. a challenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if it's Keen a long shopping list. Yeah, big time. Um, Keane Lynch, we were saying earlier, obviously stepped up in the first half when those around him were maybe faltering a little, a little bit. Darrow Donovan in the second half was one of those players that stepped up massively as well. I've been asked, obviously Seamus asked him who the, his hurler of the year is, Gillan being the, I presume, Bucky's favourite, but for you, who, who gets the nod? Uh, since... I suppose the start of the league. I was so delighted when he came back. I think mm. I was I was very sad <laughs> when he was when he was out in the cold playing soccer with that random team from Limerick. What were they called again? I can't remember. Craig FC or something. I don't know or something Rovers. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it's not. And actually, we were chatting to Adam Screeny on Friday night. Uh, what a cool kid! Mm. So burnt the year off him asking him what he thinks of Gillan because obviously they're you know playing in the same role and. Gillan has changed that corner forward role and made that role really sexy because of the way he manages the game, manages the, I suppose, his runs, how exciting he makes it. It's, it, it's a case study in in management and we haven't seen that with a corner forward in so, so long. Mm. Even Taggy Forward, he was saying, look, you, you have to recognise that this lad is doing something different inside there. Yeah. He's made the role his own and he's made the role his own this year in mm. 2023 and that's why I think he's hurdler of the year. There was a point, um, I think, at the start of the second half where the movement of his feet was like a wide receiver just like catching a ball where there's no space, but there's mm. suddenly space because he's just Jake. shimmy the hips so and the quick. feet move. And it's against like an incredible defender. But he's making four runs and then on the fifth he moves. So like he's he's literally, and that, and that's what we were saying with, with Adam was like literally... It's the fo- it's you're exhausted, mm. and you still have to have the energy for the fifth run to actually win the ball. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, he's just tapping it, and he's just tapping it over, and it looks effortless to him. But it's been it's, it's been set the up. four runs previous to that, so that's why he's my hurler of the year. Mm. Sarah, there's an incredible story brewing in the Camogie where Waterford have reached the All Ireland final, and I was making the point a little bit earlier on. The opportunity was there for Camogie to separate themselves from the same rotation of games as the hurling, mm. and. It was like there's the all of August, and the, we could have had a, an Ireland final, an Ireland hurling final on the first Sunday in September. It would have been amazing, and we would be talking about that in loads of detail and getting to know these Waterford players and getting to see the, any of the controversies in the game against Tip. But instead, it's swallowed by the all-time great Limerick team, and so I I feel like that decision was a bad decision in the first place. And I, I I'm not quite sure why the Camogie and the LGFA feel like they need to tack on 
to be on the same. It's gonna, the same thing's going to happen with the women's football next weekend. What's your instinct about this? That August window is the window they should have looked at. It's a real sweet point because obviously September, October, the club season becomes players going back to college, players going back to school. Mm. You're look, you're competing with the men's club season in terms of pitches and I appreciate all of that. But that August window, that sweet spot, that's still there. We don't have championship until the 21st of August in the club. Right. So even there's two more weeks there. I think the, sorry, the Camogie final is on the 6th of August. Even if you had pushed it out three weeks, the final, there's still yeah. only two teams involved. You know, it's like the exactly. rest of the country can... Yeah, you can go ahead and yeah, yeah. slog away. So moving it back three or four weeks would, wouldn't kill the game, but it would give us a window to breathe. And then <laughs> brilliantly, though, on Saturday, we were in Nolan Park, 7,500 people in Nolan Park Saturday. Claire, the noise, the colour... Sorry, not Claire. Waterford. (laughs) Waterford, the noise, the colour, they, oh my God, they they started chanting after Murray Power's goal and they never stopped. That Waterford team is a real uh, success story in the Camogie because in 2020 they were relegated. Mm. Um, We actually relegated them. I was with Dublin that year and it was a last second free from Dublin player Emma Flanagan and I was going, God, this is going to be really tough on Waterford. They're going to go down to Division 1B. We might not see the group again. Three years later, they're in an All-Ireland final and I was at a wedding on Saturday night with the Dublin girls and we were saying how sickened we all were that Waterford had managed to do this in three years and Dublin just survived relegation. That is the swings and roundabouts in teams. But like we should be doing 25 minutes on that this morning, I think. You know. And there is enough room in that and the quality in it was exceptional. There's a score from Beth Carton that is um, is all Lorraine Bray. And if you get a chance to see it over the week, go back and watch it because she comes out of nowhere in the middle of midfield. She f- flicks the ball off of uh, the tip player and she goes. She's so direct and actually she'll be a real... I suppose, star in that final when she gets on spa- in space because Croke Park is really going to suit Waterford and they played Cork last year in the semi-final, did incredibly well in the game and then mm-hmm. I suppose Ashling Thompson uh, comes in and powerhouse performance to, to overturn Waterford. So big opportunity for Waterford in this final. All right. Sorry, we'll leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. It's uh, 8.55 this morning. Yeah, you're watching OTBAM. Uh, glad to have you with us this morning. You can get us on youtube.com forward slash off the ball or you can always text us 87 I'm delighted to say Sarah Rowe is with us now. Sarah, good morning to you all the way from Australia. How are you? Morning, how are you? Uh, you're playing Aussie Rules again, is that correct? Is that where you are at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Back in um, Melbourne the last three weeks now, uh, back into free season. How's that going? Yeah, good. It's obviously, um, I've been transitioning sports over the last year. So having gone back to soccer for six months and going back into AFL again, you know, there's always a transition phase with that. Um, But yeah, I had a great time just going back to a sport that I love, a sport that I grew up playing. And now I suppose I was always in contract with Collingwood. So I'm back into the business end of things now. It's um, our training load has increased a lot and the expectations of players over the Coming season is far more than it has been any other seasons. We now train during the day and then we do two night sessions whereas it used to be all night sessions. So like a few things have changed um, and the expectations is definitely higher. So it's been, yeah, it's been a tough three weeks coming straight back in, but um, yeah, enjoying the system and just being back in a professional environment. 
I think I remember hearing you say before, sir, that you have to train your mind a certain way to play these different sports. And each time, I guess, when you're going back and forth between different sports, is it tough or do you manage to, is it, is it almost like a light switch? It depends how long you're out from the game. Like, obviously, with me being out from soccer for eight years, like, that was a real challenge. Like, in, you know, the first few weeks were very difficult because you have an expectation of yourself where you think you should be at and the standard you hold yourself to. But like, really, that was a version of you eight years ago. So it's like, you know, being a nurse, being a teacher, whatever, if you don't practice it, you lose it. So for me, I felt like I had to relearn a lot of things, like even the language around the game, like the tactical aspect, the technical aspect, and then obviously the physical side, your touch, all that stuff. So it really felt like I was learning something again. Um, but Melbourne Victory was such a big help to me in that because it was, you know, directly from Collingwood into another professional environment. So I was exposed to, you know, such great education and great coaches. And then obviously transitioning then back to Bowes was great because I needed as much games as possible to, um, you know, get up to standard as quick as possible. But um, then going back to AFL now this time around, because I've only been away from the game for six months, it doesn't feel like as much of a transition. Um, it's just more so the strength side of the game. Um, you just need to adapt your body again and probably put on a kg or two and then go again. So it doesn't feel as hard coming back this way. It felt a lot harder going back to soccer. Fitness-wise, soccer, Aussie rules, Gaelic football, like how, how do they rank? Yeah, they're they're very similar in ways and going across the three sports you can um I feel like I can compete in every game with the level of fitness that I have from say AFL transitions across to soccer and soccer transitions across to Gaelic. But there there's small differences in terms of like what we do with soccer. Say you might lift weights like twice a week in AFL you'll do three to four um and our runs are a lot longer and uh, it's a very powerful explosive game so like there is slight differences and you definitely I think like our strength and conditioning coach is like to me is like I'll get you back to where you need to be in four weeks and it's not a massive jump but there is a transition phase where he's like I need you to be this this and this so we adapt and change my training from um, soccer to AFL so yeah there's a bit of a process with it but it's not massive like it do, you, it's, there's not huge gaps do you have the same GPS stats? Can you compare and contrast like the number of sprints you do in a AFL game versus soccer versus a GA? Yeah, like you would. Um, it, it is interesting to look at that side of things because like in a soccer game, you might do say 11, 12K, uh, 14K, including your warm-up. And high-intensity running would be anywhere between like 500 metres to kind of 800 metres. But then AFL, obviously the game is shorter and you're rotating on and off what you would maybe do between 9 and 10k and then your high intensity running would be about a kilometer 1.2 kilometers and um, so the high intensity running seems to be a bit more in AFL than it is in soccer obviously soccer is a lot more there's a lot of change in direction and short steps and um, so that's what I mean by there's just being really small details but you when you know your body so well you go into those environments and you know exactly what you need to, you kind of know exactly what you need to do like that when I went from AFL to soccer I was like I feel a bit heavy I don't feel that light in my feet and I need to get my short steps better I need to do more agility work and I need to go into a power phase and less of the strength phase so yeah it, it does just take a small bit of time 
what's the World Cup like in Australia? Because obviously, you know, you've, um, you know this Ireland team so well and you've kind of been in Australia on and off over the last couple of years. How big an event is it? Are you seeing it every day or uh, has it actually captured the public's imagination just yet, do you think? Yeah, well, I was up in Sydney last Wednesday and I just soaked up the atmosphere of all the Irish fans and it was just incredible to see those green jerseys walking around everywhere it was just like re- like really and truly Irish fans are the best fans in the world and just they go above and beyond so that was really cool to see and then in Melbourne there's a lot of stuff around the World Cup like a lot of the rugby teams soccer teams like Melbourne Victory they've been kicked out of their facilities because FIFA are in with teams training in their facilities we have to park somewhere else for training because you know the World Cup is taking precedence at the moment but um so yeah, there's things like that happening. There is an atmosphere around Richmond area, which is, um, I suppose, the centre of sport in Melbourne. So you can really feel it, and you can see it. And everyone's talking about the games, and um, it's just it's so good to see the way women and sport have, like you know, the profile of it all has grown so much. Like people are asking you, like, are you watching the game tonight? And like you know that they're talking about the women's game. Like you're not normally when someone asks, are you watching the game tonight? It's a generally a men's game. So. Um, I think it's yeah incredible to see the Irish performance Sarah in that opening game uh, I guess pure disappointment that they couldn't nick a goal at the end and take something from the game but still it, 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 I guess it leaves us in a, in a reasonable position we think now we can potentially push the Canadians get a result there um, so it was disappointing from a result perspective but performance wasn't bad yeah I thought the performance was really good I thought the girls did really well and I think they made it really hard for the Matildas to play the style of football that they wanted to play I think they were very well organised and set up um, I think they were very unlucky unfortunate to concede a penalty obviously and you would have liked to have the ideal result out of that game would have been a draw and um, so yeah it's disappointing in that way but I think the girls can hold their heads up high and yeah, Canada has a massive game on Wednesday and they really need a big performance. Were you disappointed not to be not to have made the final, I guess, squad standby list? How how close do you think you you'd pushed it? Um yeah, I think time was a big factor um for me as well. I think getting back into soccer was just like it was just so enjoyable for me to go back to it. Like I had this itch I had this itch to go back for so long. Um, well, I was on standby, so um, I was in a home-based training camp just before the squad was announced. But I felt like I just ran out of a small bit of time. I think I needed a couple of more weeks to uh, play a few more games and then um, get into a few more squad training sessions. I think I would have probably a bit more of a chance then. But no, wasn't disappointed. Was loved the process of soccer and loved going back to it in the first place. So I was... And also the girls, like so many of the girls have worked so hard to get you where they are. And like, it's, you know, the squad that got picked was um, a great squad. And you see girls like, you know, Megan uh, Campbell, you see Leanne Kieran and these girls being left out of the squad and like Jamie Finn even not being selected in the actual squad. So it's like very disappointing for those girls. Whereas um, for me, it was just a process of going back to football and seeing where it would take me and knowing that I was close and um, was you know good just to know that I could be in around the squad but um, yeah I was I was delighted for the girls who got selected How do you think we're going to do in the next two games? I think again I think Ireland make it really hard for teams to play because they work really hard and they 
just that never say die attitude that Irish people have um, is just something that you either have it and I think we have it in our blood um, or you don't and I think that's what really um, gets us across the line in big games so I think I'd love to see Amber Barrett come on I'd love to see a few other girls come on and get games on like Chloe Mustaki and you know maybe mix it up a small bit and but I think yeah it's anyone's game obviously like in a World Cup anything can happen I think um I'd like to see them beat Nigeria. I'd like to see them get some sort of result out of Canada, be it a draw or a sneak a 1-0 and win. But that's kind of where I see it. And when's your first game? When, when does the season restart? Season doesn't start until September. So we've another five weeks of pre-season Ooh. Um, left. Is, is that five weeks yeah. of misery? <laughs> five weeks of misery. The, the first block is like a strength block. The last three weeks have been the hardest three weeks of training I'd say I've ever done. Um, which is yeah saying a lot but it's it's been great like that's what you want like you want to you want to be uncomfortable the whole way through and then we're kind of going into a a bit more of a deload week this week and then we'll ramp it up again for like three weeks free games and then we're into games so yeah just it flies but we're over the worst block but it's you know it's still obviously everyone's competing for places now so it's you know it's never like you can ever relax all right did I see you were training with Andrew Omabamadele recently, Sarah, as part of the preseason? Yeah, I was. I was um, training over in Portugal for a few days. And there was a camp called the Radcliffe Group, and there was a load of um, soccer players filtering in and out um, of the campus gym. So I was just happened to be training there, and I got talking to a few coaches, and they were asking what sport I played, and I they just said, "Do you want to join in for a couple of sessions?" So joined in it was great it's always great to train with boys I feel like um, it's it's something they do a lot of in soccer is you play against underage teams even with Melbourne Victory like we would play challenge games against underage boys teams and it just gets your mind thinking and it's 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 really good and it's really good for your development so yeah it's great it's great Sarah good stuff we let you go thanks a million for joining us again cheers thanks guys Sarah Rowe on the line from Australia it is seven minutes past nine. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jaron Shane. How's it going? Good, yeah. Roy McElroy in the amber or in the red? Ah, uh, here. Mm, well, he played quite well. I mean, he played well, but his putter again didn't cooperate, did it? Uh, terribly frustrating for him, I'd say. But it was kind of a disappointing Open Championship, really, because Brian Harmon was just too far in front uh, to make it interesting. Even if you don't care weekend. if Irish aren't contending, as long as the the final yeah. few holes are interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then the weather yesterday made it pretty impossible for any of the challengers really to make a, a huge push to try and close the gap. So not a very memorable tournament uh, from start to finish. To be fair to Brian Harmon, he was excellent. He managed it really well and played very steady over the weekend. Um, from McElroy's point of view, I mean, it's a case of very similar to last year, very similar to the US Open in that he was brilliant from tee to green pretty much all week and, and his putter didn't fire over the weekend in particular. I will I will agree with you on one thing. So obviously he, he spoke afterwards about his focus on the Ryder Cup and wanting to avenge the last one, the race to Dubai, the uh, FedEx Cup as well. Uh, and I get that. But a lot of the people are making the point in the papers this morning that you won't be remembered as a golfer for, for FedEx Cups and for races to Dubai. No one cares. It's the majors. Monty won the European Tour every year for a gazillion years. And like when you're talking about the world's great golf, obviously yeah. Rory McIlroy is completely different because he's won all his majors so far. But... You know, I, I get that point, but he deserves to be in the amber because of his performance. 
I don't of the last week or two. I, uh, not the last week or two. We put him in the green last week. Yeah, but it's he was a week to week thing. <laughs> tied we do sixth. one every week, Shane. He was tied for sixth at the weekend. Like he had very solid rounds each time. Sixty eight. You yesterday. think he could have done more? Other backs were cheap more. Definitely could have. Yeah, you're probably right in that. His tee to green play would suggest that he, he could have been closer. But that's the thing. When he was starting to surge on Saturday, and Harmon was just dropping a shot here and there, you're like, get the roar going, get the massive gallery following you, have the noise echoing around, sink the putts, get the red up there, come on, surge, and it's yeah. like, oh, it's like. Yeah, um, and then yesterday he made three birdies in a row on the front nine, which suggested that maybe he might be able to launch a, a massive challenge from way back, but it just didn't quite work out. Nobody did really yesterday, to be fair. The weather no. didn't help him, it didn't or help, anyone. No, it didn't help any. It, it helped Brian Harmon, mm. uh, because yeah. it meant that no one could really make up the gap of his five shots at the start of the day. But just a, an interesting stat I, I spotted uh, from Kyle Porter, who's very good on Twitter. Um, he's based in the US, but of the seven of the last eight majors, Rory has tied her beaten 993 of the 1019 competitors so that's 97.4% yeah so I mean he's been so it must so be heartbreaking close. for him it must be heartbreaking yeah for him. I mean it's it's very difficult and how do you persist now he's got such a long gap until the next major opportunity in, at the Masters next April so mm. you do mention obviously the FedEx Cup and, and the race to Dubai and the Ryder Cup they're all important but they are, as you but say Jared they're, they're yeah. not the currency that McElroy deals in I right think that's the, that's the key thing it's not getting like he he's he loves competition he clearly thrives on trying to beat whoever is in front of him today but the juices will not be flowing in quite the same way that they will be uh, next springtime when the magnolias are in bloom and he's He's at Augusta and everybody's asking him. Maybe he doesn't do any, any press that week either. Maybe he does all the press. I don't know. I don't know how you would like... I don't know what the what well, Caroline Curd would be saying to him this week. <laughs> well, I don't think engagement with the media really puts him up or down, does no, it? No, I don't know. It's just he, he made a big big deal this week. I'm yeah. Like, oh, I'm doing nothing. I'm, In t- fact, I'm, talking, I'm not talking anymore, Liv. Don't ask me any questions. Yeah, not doing media maybe even puts more pressure on him. I don't uh, know. But I don't know. I don't know. It's a very... It's, look at I mean, until he wins one, everyone's going to scrutinise every single aspect of yeah. his preparation. And then, but then when he does win one, I think it... I honestly think the floodgates will open. Like, I, I'd expect if he wins another one, he'd uh, he'd win another three, The four, level five. of competition is so bloody intense. Like, um, where's Brooks Kepka? Right, yeah, like, yeah. and he was the world's best golfer, like absolutely dominant for an eighteen-month period. John Ram is the world's best golfer at the moment, and like his was his entire tournament was nearly over before it started, and then he did at least make a surge on Saturday, but it was too little, too late. Yeah, uh, some suggestions around Ram that he he took a little bit of time off before the tournament that he was a little slow to get going, and maybe that aspect of his preparation maybe hindered him this week. Um, but he only finished a shot ahead of ahead of Rory, so like seven under, yeah. Is Ram in the green then, Ger? Uh No. Ram's not in the green. Ram's in the red. He's in the red for finishing tight for second. Ram, Ram, Ram is now at a level where all he's interested in is, is doing the career Grand Slam and smashing the field. That's what John Ram wants. But his, his was it the Thursday or Friday he screwed up? It was Thursday. And then Friday was a battle to make the cut. Yeah. And then Saturday ripped the course up. 74, like, 70 and then 63. That 63 was unbelievable. Yeah. There was a 45-minute period where himself and McElroy were just peppering the stick and you're like, everybody should just watch the golf. This is going to be brilliant. And Harmon's going to drop shots. And then it's just Harmon... Da-da, nothing you can do. <laughs> tease the ball there, put yeah, it there. It was very impressive, I have to say, in a strange sort of a way. Yeah. Like, not particularly good television, but you know, very impressive from a... 
from a professional point of view for him to, to do the job because he wasn't very experienced in that situation either but the thing about the Open is you've got to sit around all day and wait for your tea time in the afternoon as well when you're in the lead like you are in some of the other tournaments as well you've got a lot of time to think about it yeah. uh, which is difficult mentally Yeah, uh, Presumably if, if Rory McIlroy was your kid Jer, or John Ram was your kid if it was Rory Gilroy like, you'd be like no, nah, not good enough you have to win you have to win you're in the red it's all about winning is it just because it's Rory McIlroy and the expectations are so high? Do you high? think Tiger Woods would be like, oh, great, I finished sixth? No, but I think Tiger... Congratulations to me. But Tiger might have a bigger picture. He might say, okay, I wanted to win this week. I didn't. I still played reasonably well. Didn't, you know, wasn't too far off the, the pace. Yes, that's what made Tiger Woods the best no, no, no. golfer of all time. But for the next tournament, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm, I'm my, form is, my form is getting better. I know, obviously, you want next the form... Tournaments. Yeah, I know next you, tournaments! You want the form to peak for the Open, of course you do, for the majors. I get that. But, like, Rory's heading in the right direction. There were, years, there were years there where he wasn't even winning on the tour during this 10 year Kenny in the red why did you buckle Kenny in the red this is a combined decision <laughs> between myself yourself and Colm on a Sunday evening we, the, why did you buckle Kenny in the red well Kilkenny lost Kilkenny lost be in the green for like nearly winning in Ireland that they didn't nearly win oh we had Derry and Monaghan in the red for losing semis as well there you go that's you know, it. it's fair enough alright put someone in the red I guess yeah tough gig um, <laughs> I was in Piper's Corner last night it was like the Vanity Fair Oscars party. Everywhere you looked, there was like a gazillion All Ireland medals. Uh, Seamus Power was in after the golf the oh. weekend. Um, lots of Antrim hurling legends were there. I, I caught up with Oka McFetridge, totally starstruck. He's from the 89 team. Childhood hero. Scored 2 3 in the semi final as they beat Offaly. Mm. Uh, met Pat Delaney's daughter, who was on the, I think, on the Offaly team or just finished up at that stage. There was like, there was literally All Ireland winners from the. 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, and uh, are there any current ones? I don't know. Um, but a, a good night was had. But it was just interesting to see, like, oh, all the racing crowd were in as well. Paul Nolan, Gordon Elliott. Mm. Um, Jesus. Wow, we missed out. Who's who? Yeah. Some, uh, Nicky English and um, Pat Fox. Pat Fox actually was the one who told me that Oakham Fetter was over there. And uh, there was just, like, I, the All-Ireland Hurling final is actually the great gathering of hurling people and I know some people complain about this that the only people who should get tickets on the day are the people from the counties involved but actually this is for the hurling community to come together and remember it's like 10-12 counties really do you know like it's Mm. not Small community, yeah, and there's eighty thousand tickets. There's plenty, plenty of room for everybody to go, right? I think. And I said this is this just struck me last week when I was in American Kilkenny. Kilkenny. I was chatting to Eamon Cregan after the interview, and he said, uh, "He was who were you chatting to Kilkenny?" And I said, "I was sitting down with Eddie Carey yesterday," and he said, "Eddie's a lovely man. I play golf against him sometimes, but see, back in the day, we wouldn't even look at each other." And and he said, "It's different. It was different back then." That Limerick and Kilkenny team in the 70s and all, they, they, they wouldn't mix in the hotels afterwards. There was no mingling. Nowadays, you have players who live together in college. They play on college teams together. Cregan said back then, self and care, they wouldn't be seen yeah. near each other. It's given was only starting up, was it? I, don't, I actually Probably, don't know when. Yeah. Or starting to be taken seriously as a, as a stepping stone. Because anyway, I know the Ashburn Cup was definitely in the 50s and 60s. So mm. um, I presume there was the men's equivalent. But... Uh, they were also killing each other, Shane. That was the well, other thing. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was like a guy <laughs> walked past hurls. at one point. Like, oh, that guy got banned for a year for like tomahawking somebody with a hurl. There was no helmet. I was like, oh my god. So you know, it, was, it might be a reason why. <laughs> well, uh, did any care nearly lose an eye at one stage, or possibly, did somebody lose yeah. an eye in one of the All Ireland finals that they played in? I think. Well, like those, those Antrim hurlers that you mentioned, savagery. 
th- those lads must have PTSD from Nicky English. So, like, were, were they chatting to Nicky? Or? Ah, well, like, you know, Nicky was, like, uh, in an all-time, in the midst of an all-time great performance in a, in a window. So, uh, I think maybe they didn't expect... Um, I, was, I was talking to Neil McManus, who has just recently retired as well, and we were talking about the... So, the Jubilee team got presented at around 2.45 yesterday, and it was Johnny Pilkington, Joe Dooley, Brian Wheelahan, Billy Dooley, that Offaly team of 98, who obviously beat Clare in the three-game saga and then beat Kilkenny in the Ireland final. And they're such a legendary team. And actually, they did a great... The, the Michael Dignan, um the introduction of them was, was brilliant. It was kind of funny and, and up-to-date. And... Um, and they really they did it brilliantly but like somebody was like oh did they not do the Jubilee team this year it wasn't at half time it wasn't at half time obviously because the minor game doesn't exist anymore but we were having the chat afterwards with Neil McManus and I was like oh they should play one of the other. I was like yeah Joe, Joe McDonough that, that should be the they should play the Joe McDonough and then the point about the tickets is like you'll need 10,000 yeah. tickets for the teams but that's alright there's 80,000 it's fine. Well, it comes back to the Talchon Cup final and the All-Ireland semi-final on the same day. Wasn't there difficulty getting tickets for the counties in that? So mm. what do you do? It's a very difficult choice from the GA's point of view. Uh, but I, I, I think um, like the fact that every club in the country, I think, gets tickets for the All-Ireland hurling final and, and the football, that should be continued. Mm. You know, I think that, that has to continue. Um, and then you obviously have probably corporate stuff added in and then you have the counties. So 80,000 people probably isn't long filling up. Mm. But I think... The All-Ireland Hurling final day, the football final day are kind of national celebrations they rather are. than they should be confined to two competing counties. Mm. And we should have bank holidays after both of them. You think? 100%. And a flyover. Oh, we're low on bank holidays, aren't where's we? Where's the so Irish Air Corps? Why aren't they flying over the stadium Super Bowl tonight? I don't need to militarise this, Shane. Uh, maybe. <laughs> 18 minutes past nine. You're pro-NATO now, are you? <laughs> well, I just like airplanes and helicopters. Oh, yeah. Don't do it with NATO. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, 18 minutes past nine here's some highlights from the OTV podcast network for you today the latest Koi gig pod Tommy Walsh's post-match reaction we had 22 pods in the build-up to the All-Ireland hurling final uh, Willow Callum put out on Twitter that's insane <laughs> I hope you enjoyed them all and we're going to be doing something similar for the football this week there's a football pod special coming uh, from Wednesday or Thursday night I haven't even, it's in Croker anyway and it's sold out um, so uh, you're going to have to wait for the pods to drop in the aftermath the Sunday pay-per-view, Stephen Doyle was standing in for Joe, joined by Kieran Shannon of the Irish Examiner and the Irish Sons, Jason Byrne. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Right, the weather should have been in the red, says Fountainstown Forlan. Diego, how are you? <laughs> it denied us a phenomenal finish to the Ashes. Yeah, it did look like it was going to be uh, fairly interesting. There's four Ashes tests, right? Usually, isn't it? Why don't well, they it was have... the third one at the weekend, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Uh, no. Let me just check. So it was already 2-1, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's my maths. Why don't they have, like, a fifth one? Is there... Yeah. What's the point in having a four? I could finish to all. <laughs> share it, because they like to... I know, they like to share it. Gentlemanly. Well, share the all, all the gentlemanly nonsense. That, that all fell away this time, didn't it? Well, Jesus, yeah. Uh, I, to I, see. Yeah, exactly. Um, except from the clowns and the was yeah. that lords. Uh, Rory Donahue says Limerick five in a row is a foregone conclusion. Mm, I think that's a dig at me. Why? Well, because I, I was given out of a German Connolly call in the Dublin Monaghan game, a foregone conclusion. Oh, so uh, he's yeah. commented every single day since saying that something is a foregone conclusion. So good morning to you. Yeah. Uh, Tom Morrissey player of the year they wouldn't have got out of Munster only for him says Owen Hurley he's definitely in with a shout I'd say uh, easy on Rory enjoy the four in a row 2024 is another year in, in fairness we're, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and do definitely need to 
enjoy it. Uh, Limerick were awesome, however. Kilkenny's performance has to be called a collapse. This was the Limerick side missing the best cornerback in Ireland and Declan Hannan, and Kilkenny still lost by nine. It didn't feel like a nine-point game. It definitely didn't feel like a nine-point game, but the complete and utter dominance that Limerick exerted in that third quarter was like, it just meant that everything was an inevitability at that point. Even though, like, there was still, occasionally, Kilkenny get a free and TJ come out to, like, inside his own half to hit it and it would go over and you'd be like, oh, there's, there's, there's just a chance. Still only a goal behind. But it's like, yeah, there's no sense of them being able to create that uh, goal opportunity. No. And they were definitely targeting the goal, you'd imagine as well. There are five Ashes tests, apparently, uh, according to the YouTube commenters. All right. So there you go. Uh, have the fifth one at the Oval next week. Okay, so sorry, it said England can't win it now. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, Australia will it, retain yeah. the Ashes. Is it like the Ryder Cup? If you draw it, you retain it? Uh, it says you want to draw the holders, keep it, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, 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 okay. So there you go. There you go. Okay. Um, let's go down to uh, Limerick and soak up a bit of uh, the atmosphere. Owen Fitzgerald from Spin Southwest. Owen, how are you? Good morning, guys, from the four times in a row champions. It's a, it's a busy one here in uh, Limerick this morning. Um, a lot of tired and sore heads, but uh, look, everyone's in, in great form. And what a comeback for Limerick in the in the second half to score like 20 points. is just amazing to only score nine in the first and then to put away 20 points and, and no goals in, in the final as well. But look, it was just uh, everyone here at the Fitzgerald Woodlands House Hotel is just, just in great form. And look, it's... It's great to, to be champions again. Yeah, there was a bit of talk about um, the fact that they were going home. Uh, like, I think maybe they've started a new tradition where you want to be with your own people. Yeah, and look, um, they're all still in bed, to be honest. Um, I've been here all morning trying to grab people for, for interviews, but they're all in bed. I probably would as well if I was um, on my home turf after such a win yesterday. The homecoming isn't until six o'clock in, in Perry Square in Limerick today. So I think they're just taking a, a rest. They were probably up to six, seven o'clock this morning, you know, and I suppose you come off the come out of the match and you're on the train and they're in here to the hotel and they're, they're on the Sunday game. And, you know, so like it's such a, such a busy and long day. Are we going to give out to them for having a rest? No. Would we love to have them down here? Yes. Uh, Keen Lynch was uh, one of the first ones um, up this morning. Unfortunately, he, he couldn't join us. Uh, Nikki Quaid was the, the first person up. I think Nikki has a tradition of always always being the first. Um, and I nabbed him for, for Newstock breakfast earlier this morning, but um, tired heads. But look, they're in great form. And I think the players will probably start getting up out of bed unless they're getting uh, breakfast sent to them individually. But hopefully they'll maybe get up in the next half an hour and so and hopefully we'll be able to, to get them on Zoom here for you. Do the hangovers get worse or better from the first to the fourth? Like, do you, do you just get used to it? Do you, do you celebrate less or do you just... I guess this is this one's history, is celebrate it? more, don't you? Possibly. Four in yeah. a row, I guess, is the... As you get older, Shane, the hangovers get worse. Uh, I can't confirm. True. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I found interesting, though, yesterday when um, just, just watching the... The, the big screen at, at Croke Park yesterday was John Kiley's celebration and I know look it's a, it's a to achieve four in a row is amazing but just to see that relief and that pressure maybe that he was feeling and he was up in the crowd with JP McManus with the with the Lee McCarthy never really seen him celebrate like that before so that kind of show you how much this one meant because look if we go back only a few months ago people were talking about Limerick being out of the championship and you know that Limerick were having a bad year and that they, they wouldn't be looking for four in a row so it's amazing how quick things turn around and I think you could see a lot of pressure there and even in the first half yesterday and trying to I suppose we only went in maybe two or three points behind at the, at the at the first half, but you could kind of feel it in the crowd and just looking at the reaction of the players and John Kiley's face at, at half time. You know, people were worried, but I think once that tension and relief kind of at the full time whistle blew, um, you could just see what it what it really meant to him. And it was just interesting to kind of see that side of John Kiley that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, he was very much taking a moment to soak it all in and to bring his kids up with him and for 
you know, just to have the presence of mind to be present in the moment, which I'd say a lot of times you're like, oh, Jesus. And then looking for the various people in the crowd who you wanted to thank. Obviously, JP was um, chief amongst them. And uh, that got a massive cheer from everybody as well. And a huge, huge number of people stuck around to see that in the aftermath, too. Have you noticed a significant change over the years, Owen, in, in terms of like, you know, one of the All-Irelands obviously won in COVID. Nobody's there for that. Um, the uh, Cork won. It's still only a half full stadium because of uh, COVID as well. Mm. Uh, last year, obviously, the full flowering. And then this year, it's like, actually, you know what? We're going to be able to go home tonight. Yeah, there was there was just something different, um, even in the crowd. Yes, I just felt it. It was just something different compared to the last few years. But at, at one stage, my father turned around and was like, you know, kind of once most of the Kilkenny supporters had gone, you were kind of going, wow, how it's amazing how many Limerick people were were at the match. I'd, I'd love to see the figures against against the two teams, but the fact that people were still there and you know people were were driving back. You know we didn't get back maybe till eleven o'clock last night. There was people had to rush to get the train. You know and you know what it's like to try and get across Dublin when when traffic is busy. And it just kind of seemed everyone wanted to soak up the atmosphere. But look, you, you might as well because look, I grew up coming home disappointed, losing in semi-finals and losing finals, and you know this is new to me for for, for winning as the fan and I think everyone in Limerick is just going to enjoy it because look these things don't last forever and you know are we going to call it the drive for five or you know we're looking forward to, to next year already and getting the club hurling underway as well and I think it's just enjoy the moments while they last because it won't last forever but you're looking at a team that will go down probably as one of the best teams of all time and kind of going where can they go from this and I think a lot of the thing will be can they keep the momentum going into going into next year we have the squad we were missing a lot of the squad as well for the final, you know, as he, as he was just mentioning there earlier. So, look, Limerick is in a fantastic place and it's it's great for the city, it's great for the county. And look, we can see it in our club at home of Kildimo Palace Kenry as well as just the, the kids and the excitement of meeting the players and, you know, getting onto the pitch and getting them playing at club level and an early age as well. And um, Mungers in, in, in Limerick are revamping their pitch. They've been like Mungers in the next five or ten years is going to be an absolutely massive team. So, you know, um, I think we'll just keep enjoying the moments while we can. You're officially the first person who's used the words drive for five, Owen. So it's on you when this goes now. It's like, uh, oh, Limerick are already talking about drive for five. Yeah. I copyright that one. <laughs> you're, a, you're a Kildimo Paliskenry man, so you're, you're Kyle Hayes' club. I presume mm. you're, you're Kyle Hayes for Hurler of the Year then. Oh, yeah. Look, we were only saying it. I'm kind of talking at home and talking in the, the, the WhatsApp groups in the pub at home, kind of going, who would be your player of the year? And, you know, I was delighted to hear last night that they that they say Kyle Hayes because he's just been consistent and I think you know sometimes even if you, you don't have the best game or you're not scoring the most points but just being in the right place and getting the right passes in and I think he's just been consistent and look he's always on the panel and he's always playing and I think that testimony to what um, Kylie believes in him um, and the trust he has in him and maybe had a bit of a, a shaky first half yesterday but you know um, scored some good points as well and, and some good I suppose he opened up some some good plays to to lead to scores as well. So I think he's he's always there and he's just he's just very consistent. And look, we're we're very proud of him in our in our club of Kildimo Palace Kenry. You know, to to have someone at that level playing for a club and and then watching him at Croke Park and just to continue every year to be stronger and stronger. And he's just all in round a, a great hurler and a great player. And we're we're really proud of him and, and delighted to have him as as one of our own. And look. He's he's only a young guy as well, which is fantastic. There's plenty more in the tank for for this Limerick team, but I'm delighted that everyone was talking about Kyle Hayes yesterday has been been player of the year, and you know I think well deserved as well. Anybody else wandering around there on before we wrap up? Um, it's quiet at the moment, <laughs> but we'll try and we'll try and get people down to you. I think everyone here is just just really happy and just looking forward to the to the next few days. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to Galway glamping, so I'm going to miss the going to miss the homecoming, but. Uh, 
Um, look, fantastic win for, for for Limerick, and um, look, we look forward to next year. And I, I suppose who's going to be who's going to try and stop Limerick is going to be Kilkenny again for for next year. Um, Clare again losing out, kind of just towards towards the end. I think everyone will be training hard to to take this title off Limerick. But um, look, we're all in great form here, and Limerick and. As I said, um, we'll just enjoy these moments and look, hopefully we can get some people across the day for you here when they start waking up. I might go up and just start pulling them out of it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> get the trophy. Oh, and good stuff. Thanks a million. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So on Fitz from uh, Spin South West there. Congrats, Limerick. But on a serious note, have you guys seen Shaka Hislop faint live on ESPN? Shocking sight, but he's conscious now, says Paul McGee. The reports are that um, he's been uh, chatting away to the medics. And, uh, since Saw the video, all right, yeah. It was concerning at first, I guess, when you don't know what's, what's happened to him. But yeah, good, good update that he's, that he's okay, recovering. Uh, Quirky1980 says, I think hurling teams like the challenge of trying to step up to beat the best. At club level hurling, you can see all clubs looking at Limerick for ways to learn and improve. I think the thing is that you're not going to beat Limerick by copying Limerick. No. Someone has to bring something new to the table. Um, well, Limerick like, well, did. It's, like, yeah, it's, it's so hard to know. Like, yeah. Canerk seems to be able to just be one step ahead no matter what's happening. They have a plan for everything. Literally everything. Like they probably would have planned for Kilkenny being three points up at half time yesterday. Um, they just, and I think it's disrespectful sometimes that the, the discourse around Limerick, it's all, oh, it's physicality, they're just a bigger team, the strength and conditioning is unbelievable, they've got all JP's money, this and that. But like the reality is they're just very lucky in many senses to have a core group of players that are committed to the cause, that have come around at this point in time. Every generational, every golden generation in any county, there's a bit of luck involved. These lads just came around at the same time and they happened to be unbelievable. Same with Kenny 06 to 09. There is a little bit of DNA. Um, yeah. You read Arthur's book though, you realise it's not luck. It's like... Uh, of course there are great people like, involved as well. It's a long-term commitment to investing in youth structures in the academy and the academy begins to bear fruit and then everybody in the academy plays a similar style and they're not trying to win underage championships. They're trying to create senior hurlers and people who will have a lifelong love of the game and a lifelong love of uh, skills acquisition and that manifests itself into a group who at half time are telling the, the coaches these are the problems and the coaches are like yeah we we agree with you you know it's like this kind of symbiotic thing which it looked like the dubs had but I, I don't know how sustainable the dubs production line is proving at the moment we'll see in the next couple of years when this current team breaks up but um, and look who knows uh, you know there's not going to be another Keen Lynch off the production line yeah uh, winning also creates a culture of winning because you, you, like not only are the, the under 20s teams that, that Seamus Hickey winning in Limerick at the moment but look at the kids in the pitch yesterday and like the, the jerseys being signed they are they have been born and bred with this now like the previous generation didn't didn't know Limerick winning there was that gap from 73 to 18 but all these kids now all they know is Limerick winning All-Ireland so it's that's a dangerous thing for the future as well. The Don says, how was TJ Reid selected on the team of the year? He didn't score from play against Clare or Limerick. He wasn't a factor at all yesterday. Like, he, when he, TJ scores a point from the free that he wins himself, that shouldn't be counted as just a free. That's like he won the free, mm. you know. So it, there was that incredible catch in traffic in the first half where he wins it and gets taken down. I don't know, is that, a, is that not a black card? And so, like, he gets wrestled to the ground. You're like, anyway... Hmm. Maybe it's not. You and Derek Linger saying out to I hear you. Yeah. Not in hurling, but um, so that's why. Like, I, I'm sure there are, is there are plenty of cases for other players, but like um, the whole ah, oh, it's only freeze. Yeah, but it's like nine of them mm. every game. He missed one, and everyone's like, "What? What happened yesterday?" <laughs> uh, the Kilkenny fans after the match were very gracious in defeat, says Patrick Coleman. I think you know it was. Um, there was. You, you can't be too upset about it, really. 
No, I mean they know they, like when you're playing a juggernaut like Limerick, it kind of nullifies the pain of the defeat a little bit. You know, if you're losing in the All Ireland final, the team that you feel like you should be beating, or or in a final that's a little bit tighter, maybe there's a bit more pain leaving the stadium. But Kilkenny fans, I think, will have acknowledged that this Limerick team are, are, are you know, generational. Ooh, sting here, right? So Bernard Lawless goes. Limerick were brilliant at the second half. Interesting point was the 65, which wasn't given. Would have been 21-20, but a quick puck out, and Limerick went 22-19 ahead, and then they pushed on. And then Colin McCarthy, quick as a flash, goes. Oh, oh, was there another Kilkenny Limerick game where a 65 should have been given? Ifs and buts. Well, that'll be seven in a row, would it? Mm. It would. Five plus one is six plus one is seven. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. People have their opinions. Yeah, look. I mean, maybe it's a fair point. Uh, look, it definitely was a 65. I don't think it was the turning point of the game, but certainly that two-point swing meant something at the time. Last week in the football, in the football semi-final, the Monaghan-Dublin game, they looked at the big screen to see the replay. Mm. And I felt like well, that might be an issue. Oh, yeah. But obviously... Quaid took the puck out too quickly yeah for them to, he'd been getting told don't be taking quick quick puck outs quite a lot during the game and I'm sure that was frustrating for um, for Limerick and him uh, but anywho I know it. yeah th- those little decisions they're minor but it's just that two point swing it was also the fact that Quaid took the puck out as you say quickly but there were a load of players that the, the puck out was illegal like we didn't even see it on TV I don't think because of the how quick Nicky Quaid took it but apparently there were too many players around that he shouldn't have hit, taken it anyway right so there's a couple of issues there not least the fact that it shouldn't have been a puck out in the first place um, but look Limerick pulled away in the last 10 minutes to leave it a little bit null and void uh, somebody's tweeting me saying I had a tenner on Keane Lynch for man of the match I didn't I didn't bet it at all in the game yesterday so I just think he was brilliant in the first half and brilliant in the second half and I think uh, man of the match not man of the second half fair although Casey has, that's twice now he's done five points in one half not bad is it ah it's decent you know I'm recovering from the injury as we said like we're picking the tiniest of nits here we're splitting the smallest microscopic of hairs to go which of these amazing performances like Kyle Hayes is a shout I think he was good in the first half he was obviously sensational in the second half Dimmer Burns' second half performance was even better than anything that he did last year I would say mm. And like, was he was he man of the match in the final as well as hard of the year? Was he? Oof. I can't even remember. He was so so good. Ah, like ridiculous last year. Uh, like Burns Burns can probably be the most unlucky not to get man of the match. I, I, I hear your Kane Lynch point, but I mean, Jesus, Osher Hegarty <clears throat> last year was he? Okay, yeah, yeah fair yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they've been too good for too long. It's too difficult for us to remember how good they've been so often. They've all taken a turn, right? Uh, that is pretty much our live stuff from this morning's show uh, reminder we're live every morning here on the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball from uh, 7.30 all the way through until 10 OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball